I think it's time to grow this dream. Get everybody on the mics together. Okay, three, two, one podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the sudden but inevitable rebop. It has been a while, Space Cowfolk, and I gotta say, we're happy to be back with you. Of course, the Sudden But Inevitable Rebop is the podcast where we take one or two anime first-timers through the series Cowboy Bebop one or two episodes at a time, depending on, you know, how much time we have in a given week. This week, of course, is going to be slightly different for a couple of reasons, the first of those reasons being that we are going to be covering Cowboy Bebop the movie, not an episode or two of this series. So, if you've been able to scrounge up a copy, I know it's hard to find, but thank you, thank you, thank you for making the effort to find one so that you could be here to chat live with us tonight, much like our friend Callie D in the live chat. Good morning. I know that it's early where you are, and we appreciate you being here. Now, of course, I am not the only person that is here to bring you through this wonderful, wonderful movie. I have some friends to introduce you to. The first of those friends you're going to recognize, and his name, of course, is Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. How's your week been? My week's been good. I've been kind of tossed into the production chair here, but uh, I'm learning pretty quickly. I'm having a lot of fun doing it, Uh, and I think it sounds like a great way to finish up the week and go into a good weekend. 100% 100% agree with you, and if if I may also agree with the fact that I think you're doing a great job, and this production chair is sometimes a hot seat, right? Sometimes here at SBI, we have difficulties where we have to make last-minute adjustments, we have real life going on at all times. It's the beauty of being an independent podcast. I'm gonna and have part to, of that beauty, go ahead. I'm going to have to pay attention the whole time. <laughs> well, m- most of the time. Um, the thing that I will help do my best to help with is to pay attention to the wonderful people in the live chat, which also, of course, now include our very dear friend, Rosie. Welcome, Rosie. Thank you for joining us. Um, Like I was saying, we're an independent podcast, so we have all kinds of real life happening at the same time as we're trying to make the show. And that's part of why we had to delay the show until this week. Now, unfortunately, not all of the real-life family stuff uh, surrounding the Sudden But Inevitable crew has been cleared up yet. Everybody is fine. Everybody's okay. It's just that we didn't really want to push everyone into a spot where they felt like they had to sort of dance and perform, right? We want them to be in the right headspace and to have as much love and fun as they can every time they come on the show. So if they're in a spot where they're not feeling it, then we don't want to be like, hey, you have to do the show. But we love, love, love everyone on our crew, and I know that everyone out there watching and all of you listening in podcast land agree with me. Now, to that point, we do have two wonderful, very resourceful, excellent friends who have answered the last-minute call to be on our sudden but inevitable coverage of the Cowboy Bebop movie. 
The first of those wonderful people is a very dear friend of mine, and in podcaster extraordinaire, if I may, Cameron, the host of The Green Shirt, A Newbie's Trek Through the Next Generation. Cameron, welcome to the show. You are terrifying to look at. Trick or treat! Sorry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm excited. It's the Halloween season. We've got a Halloween movie here. Yes. I'm giddy to talk about it thank you for bringing me on it was very last minute i scrambled to get here this might be the first podcast i do with zero notes so you will behold cameron winging it it should be a sight to behold ladies and gentlemen cameron from the green shirt podcast winging it i gotta say my excitement level just went up a couple of extra notches and i deeply appreciate your adherence to the halloween theme absolutely anytime anytime <laughs> anytime that... maybe i'm naysaying it would you say i'm naysaying it is that more on brand? It's, it's, I mean, it's on brand for you. That's, that's forcing it, isn't it? That's the whole. I mean, that's on brand for you too, though, right? Okay. <laughs> Touche. I love you, Cameron. Thank you for being here with us tonight. We can't tell you how grateful we are. And the live chat is already showering you with love, as you can see. Oh, hey, Callie. Hey, Rosie. Happy to see you as well. Always. Of course. We do have one other wonderful friend that answered the Cowboy Bebop call, and if you know anything about our show, you know that we are blessed to have in our orbit the world's biggest Cowboy Bebop superfan, Mr. Philip Krogmeyer. Philip, I hope I said your last name right. How is your week going, my friend? You did, and it's been a pretty good week. I mean, I'm obviously getting ready for Halloween, too. Look, I'm Ricky D. Anything important <laughs> happen to you this week, Phil? Uh, you know, just... Uh, Little little thing with a new baby showing up in the family. Oh, so congratulations. Yeah. That is so, so cool. Yeah. No, uh welcomed uh a new kid to the family on Wednesday. Oh man. So, congratulations. That is amazing. It has been it's been an exciting week. Yeah. And and I, I do have to say, I love that you're here and I'm really excited yeah. to talk about the movie with you. I am feeling a little bit outnumbered by Best flicks hats, um, but that's okay. There's... There is an easy solution to that, you know. There... <laughs> and there will pretty be... Pretty sure that there is a uh, a uh, Twist My Arm Network store somewhere out there that might just have some in stock. Speaking of which, I was hoping the next time I appeared on a Twist My Arm show, I could be wearing my season one Sudden But Inevitable <sighs> shirt, but it is still in transit yes. to me. Those shirts love to spend time in transit, if I may. And <laughs> I can't tell you how grateful I am to hear that you've got a shirt in transit. I actually already knew that, but I didn't want to put you on the spot. So I appreciate <laughs> you bringing it up. Um, I was wondering if how, how much you knew. It's, it's one of those, like, I have the details, but I don't have all the details, but I knew. And it's, um, <laughs> it's definitely... It's just heartwarming to have this many friends and these people in the live chat and people going to our store and you know I if I may really quickly I'm very excited to purchase the Captain Jean-Luc Picconnery shirt from the Green Shirt store that is <laughs> which just is out. available now that's right it is possibly the single most targeted design I've ever seen in my life it's like <laughs> you have to be a listener of Green Shirt who loves Cameron's impression of Picard and I'm like I just want this on a shirt. This is like the second time I heard it. I was like, I want this on a shirt. And now like almost a full year later, I have the chance to do that. So definitely go check out Green Shirt, a newbie's trek through TNG. It's one of my favorite shows. Now, Please. we have a lot to get to, gentlemen. Like just piles of stuff to talk about this evening. So since my friend Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D 
who's got a new episode dropping very soon, if I'm very not mistaken. Very soon. Uh, it should be available either tomorrow or Sunday, depending on when I push it out there. But it's about the many saints of Newark, the Sopranos mm-hmm. movie from HBO Max. Uh, I had Ryan, uh, best flicks, best friend Ryan, uh, came on the show and talked about it. We have watched tons of The Sopranos together. Uh, he and I have been cramming as many episodes of The Sopranos into our head as possible over the past week and a half. So uh, we've got a pretty good take on The Many Saints in Newark. I am very interested to hear it, mostly because mm-hmm. I have not seen The Sopranos um, ever. Shame. Another movie continuation Shame. of a TV show, much like I mean, we're talking about oh, today. Oh. I mean, it's... It's kind of one of those things that has to be brought up because this is the end of season two. But you know what? We'll get there. Since our friend Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D is sitting in the producer seat this evening, let's turn it over to him for a quick synopsis of Cowboy Bebop, the movie, whose American subtitle I'm not going to bring up purely out of dislike for the band who is, <laughs> is most popular for that song title. So go ahead, Ricky. I'm, I'm, okay. Warren Zevon? <laughs> I don't right. know that I would argue. Come on. I mean, that is that the most popular version of that song? I, I, it, I don't know if I know be. the subtitle. <laughs> I yeah, agree with, with you, Phil, that it should be. Okay, well, Ricky D has a synopsis up, so maybe okay. he'll see it on there. Okay. I'm not sure I will. Uh, Cowboy <laughs> Bebop, the movie. The year is 2071. Following a terrorist bombing, a deadly virus is released on the populace of Mars, and the government has issued the largest bounty in history. For the capture of whoever is behind it. All right. So just because I'm a nice guy, Cameron, I believe <laughs> the subtitle in America for the movie is Knocking on Heaven's Door. Oh, uh, okay. Other way around, actually. It was... Heaven on Knocking Door? Excuse me. Oh. Yeah, was... <laughs> yes. That's the first thing I thought, no. too. No, it was, uh, it was actually just called the movie in the States. In, in Japan, Japan, it had the subtitle. Oh, Thank okay. you. Yeah. This is sense. this is why we brought Phil, you guys. It was like, <laughs> if you're going to talk about Cowboy Bebop, you have to have Phil present because it makes the most sense. I would argue that Phil could do that for almost any topic that we would talk about. But So, right away, the production value in this movie is definitely higher than it was in the series. I mean, you can just see that. The, the visuals are... Mm-hmm. are gorgeous yeah this it almost looks as good as avatar the last airbender now i'm gonna blow right past that this opening that just drips of pulp fiction right Mm -hmm. like it's Mm -hmm. basically the pulp fiction opening but Mm -hmm. in anime i love this guy i love him asking about stew mix and then she tells him where it is (laughs) i'm not looking for stew mix like (laughs) the tone of that scene was so i'm grown up uh mature Right. Maybe the tone was so mature, but like, I don't know, fun at the same time. I let's talk about this. Mature. Yeah. Cameron, what do you what outside of your blasphemous claims on quality of animation? What did you think of this opening? Uh, I mean, you covered my initial reaction was like, oh, okay, the movie or, you know, Tarantino became big between the series and the movie, obviously. Uh, And maybe not the timeline doesn't totally line up but i bet there's a lot more tarantino influence in pop culture between it like he was coming out just as the series was being made originally so yeah i mean you can definitely see there's some uh, qt fans uh working on the project now and uh uh yeah i i have more to say about uh 
what Spike does later on in the scene in the conversation that follows, but uh, I feel that's going to springboard into a larger discussion. So I'll let the others uh, talk about their first impressions. Ricky D, what were you getting from this scene? Did you, I mean, were you in the same spot? Like, oh, this is Pulp Fiction. Uh, yes, I definitely caught on to that. The stylized, the dialogue, all of that, the the cool factor. I mean, mm. Cowboy Bebop is the coolest anime. Quentin Tarantino, he makes some pretty cool movies. So it was just well, and that, that style. Yeah, the style of everything. And I mean, kind of down to one of the guys being in the bathroom when everything goes down. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's a pretty specific detail that was also in Pulp Fiction. And I, I, the hilarity of that moment, which should be only a moment of tension and drama, right? It's like, it's a perfect setup for people that never watched Cowboy Bebop, the TV show. You get the explanation of hey i'm just a humble bounty hunter man so okay that's his job he's not a cop he's not with the military like Mm -hmm. that's what he does um he's very good at fighting up close and he's got a partner who has all the information kind of plays the guy in a chair role and we are just sort of introduced to the feel the style like ricky d was was saying uh phil what is your what are your thoughts on this opening piece and then we'll jump to uh, Cameron's piece that he wanted to talk about Uh, it it pretty clearly captures the whole spirit of Cowboy Bebop wrapped up into a very compressed scene you know all of the the casual danger dialogue all of the uh, the attitude on uh, Jet and Spike's part as they're coming into this whole situation, the banter back and forth between them afterward. It's all just cool, pulpy wow. goodness. It, it's. I did think it was interesting that Jet's, because I think it was obvious he didn't know the guy was in the back. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting that he kind of like kind of squirmed his way Quite out enough. of that one. Spike called him on it. He's like, <laughs> oh, oh you, you didn't need to know. Like, oh, Jed, get feeling defensive all of a sudden. Which is consistent with the character that we know from the show. Oh, really quickly. I want to say hello. Good evening to Pixie from Project Podcast in the live chat. Good to have you with us, Pixie. Um, but yeah, my my first thing was like, that just that we know that that's consistent for Jet, right? To be macho and n- not admit mistakes and things like that. But again, just that reestablishment, which is sort of similar to the last movie based on a single series television show that we watched, <laughs> that they took a couple of minutes to reestablish the crew for everyone at the start of. Um, I will admit, so when I was watching this with the lovely Mrs. Sutton, she went, Oh, there are pumpkins. It's a Halloween movie. And I had totally forgot about that, right? And so the scene, the shot that she pointed that out was actually a reverse shot. And I went, oh, I think those might actually just be Japanese lanterns. And she was like, "Um," and like, then like a, like a TV show, it cut to the front side of it where you can see that they're (laughs) jack-o'-lanterns. And I was like, oh, damn. (laughs) That's funny. You and your wife had like an external conversation of the exact thing that went in on in my head when watching it i was like oh that's pumpkins well is it pumpkins that would be weird oh it is pumpkins and then i texted you oh it's a halloween show and that's then a... it really did become i mean it is very very centered that's... around halloween i had completely forgotten that she was very excited i that was the part that she was the most excited about she's like you didn't tell me it was a halloween movie i was like yeah <laughs> need to know basis is. baby yeah you know sometimes See, and... disinformation is important for enemies as well as uh, allies uh <laughs> 
See, and here I thought that was why we were saving this for October. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Phil. I I knew that there was going to be a live action Cowboy Bebop series, mm-hmm. right? When we when we had finished oh, yeah. up covering Firefly. Yeah. And I knew that it had supposed to have already come out. So I was like, okay, by the time we're done, there's a chance it might be coming up soon right and that happened and then when it did happen we were like oh that's great timing and i was like oh i actually if you go back and look i i planned that i sort of semi-planned that this i did not plan at all i totally forgot that this movie took place on halloween specifically um but that's kind of the nature of jazz and sometimes things just work in a way that they didn't work before and serendipity etc etc we're gonna go with that. Much like Spike, yes. You just uh, you don't like to think things through. You just whatever play happens, happens. Happens like when he uh, is facing down the bathroom crook who's holding an old lady <laughs> at gunpoint. And uh, and then I you know I, I for a second I thought we were gonna get some speed influence too, and he was gonna shoot the hostage. Uh, that didn't happen, <laughs> but more or less the same kind of vibe, right? He he endangers her life by playing the hero, playing the cowboy, and uh, stopping the bad guy. And then he and Jet have a big conversation about that, and that's where we get learned that Spike goes, "Yes, I." What's he say? I'm, I don't like to think things. I don't like to think. I just do or something. Something Again, I don't along have those notes lines. in front of me. Yeah. So very much, I'm like, oh, this is theme stated. This is where Spike is at the beginning of this episode. We're going to see how. We don't know if he'll change because, again, this movie takes place in between an already established series. Um, but this is going to come back and, and play into the film somehow. I'm not sure how it does. I'm not saying it doesn't. I just didn't pick up on it. So I'm super excited that Phil is here and you guys can help me, help guide me through the uh, thematic journey of this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, it's definitely, I'll be honest, I... I get really, I get, I got really wrapped up every time I watched this movie. I've seen it three times in two weeks now. Mm. Um, And the last time I watched it, I had had a conversation with you, Cameron, that made me watch it a little bit differently. So I was Mm -hmm. not super paying attention to themes. Um, Mm -hmm. But your mention of not having notes reminded me that I actually did take notes on this. (laughs) I forgot to have them open for for the show. Um, One thing I I do want to point out is. Do you or a question I guess that I have is do you guys think that because the budget is bigger, that's why we're getting uh brand name product placement now in the movie because we've got like Lucky Strike cigarettes, we've got pretty clearly Marlboros, like the Coca-Cola signs are kinda everywhere now. Um our friend Rosie says she saw the movie twice. That's excellent. Our friend Callie says happy coincidences are still happy. I agree. Um it, do, is that product placement like is that an is that a result of an increased budget or maybe um that they were they knew they were aiming for a more international audience this time around because they already had the established audience from the anime i could definitely see that um though you still have you know the the golden arches flipped upside down with the uh wick donald <laughs> so and i think also being I like that a big budget movie it's going to have more exposure which is going to attract mm-hmm. some of those companies to put some advertising in there. Exactly. I definitely see that. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I do. And so the other thing that I really like about it is that even though it's a little bit cold opening, like mm-hmm. that fits with the series, right? I mean, we sometimes we get that little maybe 10, 15 second scene and then the credits play. Now the credits here 
normally I would skip past this if we were talking about the credits at the start of a movie, but the animation, this slice of life of the city here is like, it looks rotoscoped to me. My guess is that it's partially rotoscoped, um, but it's so realistic and just evocative of, of city life, right? You've got these shots where somebody barely looks up at the camera and they animate part of a facial reaction out of that person and then it cuts to something else happening. It's just, I love that whole piece. And Yoko Kano and the seatbelts knocked the music out of the park. Like, I actually, I had to go look it up because I was like, this is, there is so much versatility in this that I would not be surprised to find out they just licensed several tracks. But man, it's Yoko Kano and it's the seatbelts and wow, just the music, every some of the time, lyrics, man. yeah, every single song and the lyrics even, I was like, by the third time you listen, you watch the movie, you're hearing things that you didn't hear the first time. The song that plays at the very end, we'll get to it, but I was like, oh, I didn't realize those were the lyrics that started that. I just, but it caught me off guard and I love it. I really, really loved it. So Speaking of the music, after the credits, right, we get Faye's bubblegum pop, like, 90s pink girl terrorist chasing song. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how much fun was that? And and the the establishment of some stakes, but but it's still kind of a mystery. It still feeds us along like an episode of the show would. A lot of movies that are made on t- about TV shows. Um, for example, I'm just going to throw this one out off the top of my head, like Star Trek Insurrection. One of the criticisms leveled at that movie is that it feels like an overlong episode of the TV show Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I feel like this feels like a long episode of Cowboy Bebop, but I don't feel like that's a criticism whatsoever. Like, yeah. this is the longest, maybe maybe one of the best episodes of Cowboy Bebop. So that's kind of where I'm I'm coming at this movie from um did you notice go ahead take Cameron? a moment and um i mean i kind of disagree i mean i did i do feel like it felt <laughs> like a long episode of the, the show and i was like yeah you know you could you could have easily cut like 45 minutes out and made it a decent two-parter i don't know <laughs> uh that that that's my opinion um but like should we talk about you know other movies that are continuations of tv shows and which ones we feel were successful and what makes a successful movie um you know because uh there's of course serenity to firefly i think that's an incredibly successful continuation of a tv series like it it feels important to it it closes it up where it didn't have closure before right. it, it it expands the universe answers some questions brings the characters you know to a full arc i think that's a great example are there other ones you guys can think of that are good or bad examples um i don't know of a a lot of instances of it happening outside of things like I like Star Trek, like I was saying. Um, It's funny. I've been racking my brain for him and totally forgot about the Star Trek. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, that that's obviously one. Uh, I mean, uh, X-Files was the big one I could think of where like the first movie I love, like that's the, that's what got me into X-Files. I never really watched it more than, you know, occasionally before I saw the, the first movie fight the future. And then I watched the next few seasons of the show uh, and then there's the much later movie, which again just feels like a kind of a long decent episode. Long <laughs> episode, which is fine, especially you know maybe after ten or fifteen years, whatever it was. That's all people wanted, but especially considering how that series ended, you're like, mm, don't they have more important things to deal with right now? 
Um, yeah, I think I think the Star Trek movies, you know, of course they are hit or miss, but some are really good continuations, some not so much. Yeah, well, and I mean, the best Star Trek movie, arguably The Wrath of Khan, is a direct continuation of the character from the episode Space Seed, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that, that one instance could, after the motion picture... Like the the way that that was treated by critics, this the Wrath of Khan saved Star Trek. Like oh, it, it really whole, did a hundred percent. So we would not have three yeah, or four different anything. Star Trek shows happening right now if it wasn't for <laughs> Wrath of Khan. Exactly. Yeah, new um, one just starting or about to start with Prodigy. That's yeah, about yeah, to start. Right. Strange New Worlds is about to start. We will have season four of Discovery. Season two of Lower season Decks is happening right now. Season, season two, two of Picard. Picard is coming up. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a good time Thank to you, be a Star Tom, Trek fan. Right? Yeah. Ricardo Montalban, we all owe you a debt of gratitude. <laughs> uh, but it that one instance, I don't know that you could isolate it, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like it's kind of the example. Yeah. Um, and then it, it spawned, 50, I mean, 40 years of television and movies. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that that's the one, but I I don't really know. I mean, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, you're on record as kind of loving the opposite where they made Terminator into a television series, Yes, that correct? is true. Yeah. Now, what was the benefit of that? Because for me, it's like the Terminator's movies take place in a basically a closed time loop where the stakes are always a the same and b non-existent essentially (laughs) right so it's like so what what is there to expand on in the terminator universe well and did do you feel like that worked yeah the terminator series it introduces all of these really cool ideas the time traveling the fate of uh, john connor uh sarah connor traveling through time and teaching him uh but it's all contained to a two hour movie or two, two hour movies or some more two hour movies that I don't want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the Sarah Connor Chronicles, it's able to take, it was either two or three seasons. I think just two, but they're full length seasons. And it really explores those things and it breaks it down. And uh, John Connor has another uh, Terminator robot that he learns from and that he teaches honestly. And it's just a slower, deeper, kind of wading into the world. Gotcha. Well, so Cameron, if we can stick to this point for a second, um, my argument for my perceived criticism that you're having for this movie is uh, I feel like because it was designed from the start as a single season, fully contained story, I feel like this is almost an admittance that even the people that created it just want to spend some more time with those characters so it's like this isn't meant to add any weight to the last episode that you watched or necessarily because this does take place between I believe it's episodes 22 and 23 of the series I think so yeah just before brain scratch yeah and after the confrontation Andy the cowboy with yes. Andy, I believe. Um, yeah who's in go ahead Phil uh that you you're you're on it Andy is in the parade, uh, the Halloween parade. Oh, I missed that. Um, as, as Musashi. Yes, call me Musashi. <laughs> so, um, well, I, no, I, I, saw, I saw Cowboy and a Samurai, because there's Cowboy Andy, too. It's My guess would be that they put them both in there as one of those... Uh, Just as an Easter egg. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably an Easter egg, but 
there is a point that Cameron brought up in our discussion privately that that may be supportive of. Um, anybody in the live chat, can you think of a TV series that they made a movie on? And if you can, put it in there and we'll talk about it. I feel like there are The there only are other one instances. I can think of is um, Firewalk With Me for Twin Peaks, which I'm wearing my Twin Peaks t-shirt on right gotcha. now. Gotcha. Well, anyway, and that's, yeah, that's oh, an yeah. example of where, like, where, yeah, it definitely feels important. I don't, I I prefer the series, but like you know, I still watch it. I still appreciate it for what it is. If you were gonna watch the revival, you needed to have seen it. Oh, oh so hundred oh, percent, yeah. Ricky D. Uh, well, if we're talking about movies based on TV shows, what about all of those SNL movies? All of, uh, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I'm the, thinking the more sketches, like continuations, the, but yeah, the sketches you could, that get developed like Night at the Roxbury. That, yeah, that Wayne's might World. support Cameron's yeah. point. <laughs> okay. A lot okay. of those were right. unneeded. Another like... one. How about Borat and the Bruno movie spinoff of Ali G oh, show? Interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, uh, Muppets. Oh yeah, uh, you have the Muppets. Although they're yeah. all their kind of like own enclosed yeah universes. Each movie. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, there's lots of movies based on TV shows: The Adams Family, Beverly Hillbillies. Well, and, uh, and now, but like as a direct much. continuation, but, I mean, these are remakes, not yeah. yeah you're yeah. getting it's a things beast. like that with like Psycho, where they're oh, sure. you know expanding on the whole Bates thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, The Saints of Newark. Um, there, I feel like there's been a couple more prestige shows that haven't had a movie, but I don't know. I mean, if those are the top ones we can think <laughs> of, I, we probably. <laughs> I mean, Wrath of Khan is a pretty good example. Like, oh, absolutely, and I can't. I completely space those. So Rosie has the Brady Bunch movies. Those were a continuation. There's a lot of um, uh, mediocre TV from the 70s and 80s <laughs> that got warmed over for movies around the 90s yeah, and early 2000s. It's exactly. true. Oh, the Adams Family, Starsky yep. and Hutch. Uh huh. Puke. Yep. Uh, all right, let's move past that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you guys think Alba City is named after Jessica Alba? I told you guys she's my wife to be, right? <laughs> um, I just I, I I appreciated that we got a name for that city. I don't know that we got that in the series. Um, mm-hmm. I know that they constantly talk about Mars, but I don't know that yeah, they actually always... ever said Alba. There's City. a there's a few cities that get name dropped in the series, but. Um... Mm-hmm. But usually they just like refer to the name of the moon or the planet, which made me wonder, like, does each planet only have one city or are there like multiple of these cities scattered throughout? Well, and so Uh, there's like reference specifically to uh, Tharsis City uh, at one point during the series. Um, Do we know what planet that's on? Yeah, that should be Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, But that's that's actually where like a lot of the main action on Mars takes place during the series. Uh, is in Tharsis City. Our friend Luke, who is also a fan of the gals uh, Megan Carla from Bed, Wed, Behead podcast, is in the live chat. And they have another example. They say Downton Abbey. Now, I'm going to make an admission here, Luke. I've never seen Downton Abbey. I've heard nothing but positivity about it, but I know they did make a movie that was a continuation of the series. So that's another point to make. I don't know, Luke, do you think they did a good job with it? Or was it like kind of thing where you're like, I don't know if I needed this? Because you're our only point of reference now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, it's good. Um, but yes, Tharsis um, is a... The Tharsis uh, Canyon, maybe? Uh, Tharsis is a real place on Mars now, oh, currently. That's cool. one of the places that we have named, if I'm not mistaken. Which I have been before, but I don't think I am currently. 
uh, Alba Mons is the biggest volcano on Mars. So oh, not that's just cool. Alba, sorry. <laughs> now that's that makes good sense because that whole city is encased in that crater with the atmosphere wall around it, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they just hollowed out that mountain and turned it into a crater. That would be cool. I could dig that. Uh, we have the. I like that when Faye gets back, she's she. They're like, oh, she might be infected, right? And mm-hmm. she yeah, kind of starts like messing with them, and they're kind of like trying to avoid her. <laughs> and the looks that everyone yeah. else on the crew gives, her. even Ed, even Ed, Ed like yes. joins in. <laughs> And what a strangely relatable moment uh, all of a sudden for us here in 2021. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. okay, oh, stay yeah. away from the people coughing and sneezing uncontrollably. Uh, um, Faye's an anti-masker, isn't she? she? I, I actually wrote, do we think Faye would be an anti-masker? But I don't think she <laughs> well, would. She I mean, was she just shows caught up. up and she's like, she has yeah. no idea. <laughs> like, she's so baffled why they're right. scared of her. Like, play, you, you flew through a cloud of smoke and saw people around you passing out. Yep. I mean, to be it, fair, and it is jumping ahead a little bit, mm. she is the one person on the crew who gets inoculated. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Which I deeply appreciate because it means Faye Valentine lives forever in my head canon. Uh, <laughs> Luke in the chat says, it was amazing. I enjoyed the experience of watching it in the theater, and it gave happy endings to more characters than the show could. They are filming another one right now. That is good to hear. I mean, I don't feel like that's usually the case, so I'm I'm glad to hear that for the Downton Abbey fans. If I'm not mistaken, you're supposed to say Downton and not downtown. Oh. Now. Uh, Simpsons. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought about the Simpsons. Another one where I was like, yeah, that was a decent long episode. I would disagree there because I didn't think it was that good. I was like... <laughs> I, it was the best thing they'd done with The Simpsons in 10 years. But that doesn't mean it's as good as The Simpsons used to be. Like, yeah, I feel like there were episodes that were more iconic and more important to the characters than the movie was. March right. versus and I, the monorail. <laughs> and I, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like Mono. I liked it, but I remember... Mono means one and rail means rail. I remember... <laughs> when I was watching the Simpsons movie in the theater going like, ah, this is like nine years too, 19 years too late. I mean, it was like, because they had Alaska jokes and I did, (laughs) there was, there were parts of the movie that I enjoyed. I think overall I enjoyed myself. Um, For them to suddenly make Rainier Wolfcastle just be named Schwarzenegger was like, okay, that's a family guy sort of thing to do in my head. But we're not here to talk about the Simpsons movie, but it is a good point. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it up. I I really liked uh, that they all immediately drop what they're doing when they hear the number on this bounty. <laughs> 300 million Wulongs. The biggest bounty that's ever been offered in the history of the bounty program. Or bounty system? The bounty arrangement? Anyways. Um, I did really appreciate that we get to see another character who is not Spike get burned so to speak by the no smoking rule <laughs> we have this government guy here or was he issp i don't remember what he is but he goes to light his cigarette and somebody's like his like weenie assistant guy is like hey you can't smoke in here like <laughs> yeah he was issp because he uh then the government came and took over his yeah his case at the end yeah uh, Jesse, when should we bring up what we talked about um, off screen? Because th- I feel like this is another point of evidence for it, is the, the whole no, no smoking bit. Let's bring that up right after 
I say, can we please talk about the face that Faye drew on the monitor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, that that yeah, that should have been my shot of the show. Oh, I love it so much. And she was she presented it as if it was going to be helpful. Yeah, right. that was yeah. great. Well. <laughs> in her head she's like this is exact like i'm gonna i'm gonna step back from this and they're gonna go oh i know exactly who you're talking (laughs) about like and i like that she even had some of the lines on the screen to trace and it still looked like something i would try i mean i i can't say anything that's exactly how i yeah same of course right everybody most normal people draw that way like why would they not just take that photo <laughs> yeah. and try to, yeah, which Zoom they eventually do anyways. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I, it's a trope that they, that they can pull image data yeah. that doesn't really exist to make it sharper. Right. But like, if, and I buy that Ed can. <laughs> well, right. And I mean, in a show, in a movie of Cowboy Bebop, we've already all admitted, you know, tacitly by watching, we're fine with tropes. Yeah. Go, go oh, for yeah. it. We're good. Like we're fine. So Cameron, if you would like, Please introduce the potential bombshell to this discussion. Sure. So the first time I watched this movie was a while ago, um, and it was a while after I watched the series. So I remember being kind of confused by it. I'm pretty sure I thought Victor and Vicious were the same people, so I was very confused. Um, And so I went to the Googles to be like, what? Google, what is Cowboy Movie Cowboy, Cowboy Bebop the movie about? Um, Which I did again, this time after rewatching it. And... I found more than one fan theory that the entire movie is a dream Spike is having. That's why it begins with him napping on the couch and ends with him napping on the couch. And there are a ton of references to sleeping in this, and especially Spike sleeping. Mm-hmm. Like, Jet calls him out. You sleep all the time. Um, and that, so basically the whole movie, which then I think does make it more important to the series as a whole, is really Spike coming to terms with things in himself before his final showdown with Vicious at the end of the series. Um, I do hate that trope. I hate that it's all a dream <laughs> trope. Like, just why? I don't care about a dream. Like, so none of this ever happened to Jet and Faye? That's terrible. Like, show me what's happening in reality. But, like I was telling Jesse, it does make it a lot more interesting to pick apart. And I do feel like, yeah, then it does make it kind of more important to the character of Spike uh, as it pertains to the whole series. Did you guys pick up on any of that? Oh, yeah. Nope. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I had to read it to pick up on it. And I was like, oh! This is was like my third third time? Third time oh, did, through wait, the movie? Wait. So, Philip, did you write some of those that I read? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I don't. I mean, I spend a lot of time on TV tropes, but not that much time. <laughs> that I always fun. enjoy... Oh, I always enjoy <laughs> when there's some kind of, like, overarching theory you know fan theories this thing was all a dream or uh you know this person actually represents somebody else you know it it gives you another chance to watch everything again and mm-hmm. explore it through a new lens and even if that lens doesn't show the truth you're still gonna see some new interesting things yeah mm-hmm. no it, it can definitely lend a new uh, a new angle to the story even if it doesn't actually turn out to be true mm-hmm yeah, I mean, one of the other things I picked up from the movie was that it did feel like a remix of the series. Like, it did feel like there was just lots of little bits and pieces um, that were kind of like, yeah, DJ remixed into this new story. Like, the, um, 
Wow, I just spaced everything. Words <laughs> evaporated. <laughs> like the no smoking, like the what we mentioned something earlier. Um, like Spike getting his ass kicked and then waking up. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Seeing Andy, and... seeing both versions of Andy the Shaman, like just mm-hmm. like yeah, lots of little mm-hmm. references and repeated themes, and they were like, oh yeah, this would be Spike's subconscious just kind of swirling around. Well, and Spike says in the series, you know, it's all just a dream that I've been trying to wake up from. Like he in the show talks about yeah. dreams and how you know his past lives and things like that. Now, for me, that was kind of one of the things where I was like, so. It... <sighs> It's not impo- I'm not unwilling to accept the thought that the whole thing is a dream, but there are a couple pieces that stick to me that are like, why would that be part of his dream? Like, um, for example, uh, all of Victor's backstory. Like, now, which to, feels a lot like Grin, to Cameron's right? point, right? To Cameron's point, it would be it feels a little remixed from Titan war and um, maybe some Piero LeFou thrown in there. He's got yeah, some Victor experimentation feels like, going yeah, on. Big mixing pot of all of the villains. Right. And if you take and spike and if you take exactly, if you take villain and you put some spike uh, self imagery in there, you pretty much get Victor. Victor kind of looks like spike with a vicious. beard. Yeah. You said villain. Did you mean vicious? No spike plus villain equals Victor. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. General villain, okay. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of V words being thrown out. Sorry. Well, I mean, Verily. For, and that's fair. <laughs> and, you know, normally the villainy in the show is represented by Vicious. So, yes, that would that would make sense. Um, we don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure we don't have a villainy Victor Vicious uh, bingo card square. So I think we're safe anyway. Um, Callie says, Spike lighting his cigarette in creative ways. I will point out both times that his cigarette was lit creatively with the grenade lighter, which in parentheses I wrote, yes! <laughs> that was actually somebody else lighting the cigarette for him. That was not Spike's lighter. He didn't have, or maybe he was looking for his lighter when that when Unless that it was happened. a dream, and then it was him lighting them. With a grenade, right? <laughs> so now here's the other thing. All of if everything is remixed, right? Like, and it and it's a hundred percent a dream. Then, is is there no development from the characters that we know outside of Spike? There might be development of how Spike views them and his relationship with. <laughs> Damn them. it, Rosie's right. We meant to say Vincent. <laughs> oh, I think I've been saying Victor this whole time. I apologize. I blame no notes, Cameron. guys. No notes. <laughs> Look, Jesse told me three hours ago to get on this pod. Velaju. Velaju. Let's, <laughs> let's say Velaju. We can say Velaju and always be right. Sorry, Cameron. Call go him ahead. Vivi. Yeah, I'm just going to call him Vivi from now on. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. It takes his threat level down a little bit. It's... <laughs> Sounds like Ed talking to him. <laughs> oh, it's Vivi. Did you? But what, did, but what were you going to say, Cameron? Like, did you think that that, does that mean there's no development for any of the characters oh. outside of Spike? Well, yeah, and that's I think that's the problem with a dream is then you're like, oh, okay, this whole movie is just about Spike. Um, but like like I was saying, I guess you could say it's his relationship with these characters that maybe gets developed. We learn what he thinks about them more. Right. Well, and so does that does that mean, do you think to indicate then that Spike knows that Jet is like fine if they come back or don't come back or that like Jet will just be... Uh, well, I think he knows because or... <laughs> yeah, we've seen before again with the remakes. We've seen before where Jet's like, "Fine, you can go. I don't care. Don't even come back." And then 
he always comes back and just like, oh, did you bring the bounty? No. Well, Here's some noodles. Did you make dinner? Steak, yeah, steak stew's cooking for you. <laughs> like, like, so he knows, and Spike knows. This is all subtext with them. So, yeah, of course, I think Spike knows all of that, that when Jet says one thing, he means something else. I could see that. I love the rich version of Bebop because I feel like with the rich version of Bebop, we get accents, we get foreign languages, we get characters that sound markedly different from each I other. I watched a chunk of this movie in French. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, uh, the, the entirely legal oh, yes. manners okay. that we used to get this movie, mm. uh, it happened to be in French and I had to put it in a video converter and play with <laughs> files and all of that, but I watched it twice in English, but I still, I would go through and I was watching, looking for certain parts, and I watched a bit of it in French. Uh, there's those, <laughs> right. those three men, those three like old men that are at the coffee table, that are always at the same coffee table, no matter where Spike is. They just, <laughs> like, it was, it was stereotypical comedic French accents. It was fantastic. I love it. I wonder what Volajou sounds like in France. <laughs> All Francais, so to speak. Uh, so Rosie is making the point that it's possible that Spike could have mixed all these characters in his head as a dream. Jet is always waiting. Faye is always getting in trouble. Ed and Ayn are always helpful. There was a throwback to uh, the whole sea rats thing with a virus of some sort that has to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Now, who is... Electra, is she some sort of mm. mixed version of represents his mother Faye and uh, Julia? <laughs> uh, a little potentially a stand-in for Julia. Yeah, Julia it, it with Faye's hair, like surprise. Oh yeah, because it was kind of surprising when Spike is like talking about her looks and stuff. You're like, Spike, you don't like women. You've said this. <laughs> you like Julia. Yeah, right. you like one woman and blind to all others. So yeah, well, that was that was interesting. And she's also a lot like him. He likes a woman that could kick his ass. So <laughs> it's she looks nothing yeah. like Julia. Like she's not I mean because okay, so because it's an anime, she doesn't look like Julia because she has different hair, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and her body type is a little different. She's much more she's closer to Spike's body type, like mm-hmm. athletic and trim and you know, fighting around. Callie D says, Psychology 101 with Ricky D from Best Looks with Ricky D. <laughs> it's always the mother. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the sudden but inevitable Oedipus Complex. Uh, where we take I was going to say the edible D. bebop. <laughs> Cowboy Oedipus. Ooh, we could do that, too. Uh, I was going to say, you know, my wife has been played by Jason Voorhees in my dreams before. So, like, <laughs> appearance does not mean anything in a dream. Well, Would that have been weirder than Mrs. Voorhees? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and so that's what I was going to ask. Rosie says Spike likes himself. I was going to say, have we seen Spike be, like, narcissistic, though? I mean, we've seen him be very confident. I don't know that we've seen him be, like, narcissistic. He's too easygoing to be narcissistic, don't you think? Oh, I mean, actually. Think, but that's the only thing that keeps him from being narcissistic. I am I'm take that back because the episode with Andy, I pointed out that a lot of that had to do with ego and self-image, and respect, and legacy, etc. So, dang, Rosie Leon, you're making a good point in our live <laughs> chat, my friend. Uh, speaking of legacy, another kind of throwback to the original series, 
you get the guys coming in with all of the old aircraft, all of the old ships mm-hmm, coming yeah. in. It's like, okay, are we going to dig the space shuttle Columbia? Well, <laughs> right. I wish, yeah. So that's that could be another remixed piece, right? Mm-hmm. And if this is all a dream before Spike goes into his final confrontation, I mean, those episodes, I think up to that point, had all occurred. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about old media, the media of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So beta tapes. this kid, this terrorist kid, you guys, do we feel like he was, do we feel the portrayal of him was accurate somewhat? Do we, like, he has no sense of actual reality because he's been desensitized? Like, if I'm not mistaken, that's fairly similar to, like, some kids that have fallen in love with um, extremist ideologies that don't really fit their background, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, do we feel like that guy was a commentary on, I don't know, us? Or was he just meant to be, like, a, a warning against, hey, don't get desensitized? Maybe a little of both. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not to go too far into it, but it could have potentially been uh, a bit of criticism on um, kind of the otaku culture, just the, mm. you know, especially, you know, running into the character, you know, people who are, you know, living as shut-ins and not, you know, not leaving their parents' apartment and just kind of living their whole life virtually. Yeah. Yeah, I guess what I got from it, and I don't know if it's the right interpretation, but it definitely felt like he was someone who kind of like jumped on the um, uh, the issue bandwagon, or you, you know, he 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 wanted to be an activist, but not really. So like, he found a cause. Yeah. But he was much more interested in getting high scores on his video games. So like, when it came to the actual execution of that cause, you know, he, it didn't really occur to him what you know, the consequences of that, what that really means and entails. He wanted to be extremely involved, but he was also just very voyeuristic. He, he just mm-hmm. wanted to watch mm-hmm. all of these things happen. And he, he, he said some things like he wanted to be involved. Like he said, he wanted to do <laughs> some terrorist stuff, in. but in the end, he really just wanted to watch all of this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. Parts of this movie. So like the pacing of the movie, um, there are de- just like the show there are pieces that go really quickly and there are pieces that slow way down um the whole spike's trip to the bazaar to <laughs> to be gifted this the vase. this vase <laughs> which felt very for just for some reason to me was very like oh and don't worry about the vase what vase that one <laughs> <laughs> um because you know they hand it to him and he's like i don't want this and they're like i know but you need it that's yours <laughs> yes and he goes out and he is like in turn around to go what the hell mode and he and sees gone. <laughs> yeah and they're gone but he sees electra for the first time so he's like oh there's a face that i for some reason i'm slightly gravitated toward and then it turns out that there's this marble at the bottom of this vase. And you guys, I am so excited. I love <laughs> Edward's analysis of this marble. <laughs> I miss Ed so much. If we mm. could, I'd like to let Ricky D talk about Ed here for a moment, if you would like. <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed in the movie, part of it, I'm sure, was the budget and the animation going up. Ed was more feminine in the movie than she was in the show. Uh, a lot of like rosy cheeks. There were, I mean, her body was still very 
angular, but there was a few curves that were kind of added to her face and her hair mm-hmm. that made her more feminine, which is worth noting. I don't know if I dislike it or like it or whatever. It's just, it's an interesting thing to note. Yeah. It's almost as though they, to Cameron's point earlier about knowing there might be greater um, exposure for the movie mm. than there was for the series. They wanted to go, okay, let's be, you know, less ambiguous about that. And, and I mean, they do put the scene in for anybody still left wondering, <laughs> right. Where sh- the, the, <laughs> Um, I don't know what the job is of this person that Ed runs into in the in the slums, um, mm. but the person that calls Ed little boy, and then she goes, Ed's not a little boy. <laughs> During Ed's trick-or-treating expedition. Yeah, I have and some theories the, about that person's employment, but uh, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, but the, that's my point, though, is like, of all the people to be upset about finding out that that's a little girl, like, isn't that somewhat hypocritical there? Like... Well, because only boys are supposed to visit him or her. Right, yeah. It's, them. Yeah. I should also throw out that that was totally Ricky D who made the point about the exposure, but I'm happy to take the credit for it. Oh, I'm happy to misappropriate credit wherever I may. <laughs> uh, Phil, did you have a point to make? Uh, I was just going to say that that is uh, one thing. Um, I, I love Cowboy Bebop, love the movie, but there are some things in that that have not aged particularly well. Yeah, um, yeah. Their their treatment of trans characters needs a little bit of work, and hopefully we'll see something better coming out of that uh, in the live action. I have no doubt that we will see better in the live action. Um, the oh my gosh, I feel yeah ter- the the uh, casting Alexander. the casting so far for for Gren is yeah giving me a little more hope there. A hundred percent agree with you, and I would almost say that the series treated these subjects better than the movie because yeah. there were when spike was i believe it was in maybe it was in brain scratch it was in a, one episode where he's you know walking the beat and he uh gets flirted with by a trans character mm-hmm. he doesn't like freak out he doesn't yell he doesn't you know make a face or anything he just goes oh i'm actually looking for thing x or whatever it is but yeah in in the movie it was a little more uh a little less graceful. I definitely yeah. agree with that. Um, but I was, like I was saying, I, I was just so happy to see Ed and Ayn again. Oh, and yeah. it was like, it almost made it hurt more than I knew that they were going to leave, you know? In like um, two more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and if this is Spike's subconscious manifesting as everybody, then it's it's just a clue that he has no idea, you know, that Ed's even considered her future or her past or, you know, who she is or where she belongs, things like that. Cause all he knows is analysis and wackiness, which we get a lot of. I was really uncomfortable when Ed dove into the vase. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. secondhand claustrophobia. Like, yeah, yeah. I assumed it was, was like, weird. I dream a genie's vase. <laughs> That's how I kind of reconciled it. Or in Nara's yeah, I mean, shuttle. thought the, uh, wait, what, Baby Jessica in the well or whatever. I was like, oh no, they're going to have to like fish around. It's going to be twelve o'clock news on channel. This is what 97. this movie is about now. See, oh, no. and, and my my concern was just you know her hitting the marble. Oh, well, but, you I know, mean, then she pulls the whole cat thing and you know fitting the shape of her container. Just <laughs> yeah. Ed is a liquid. Um, Ed, Ed is absolutely a liquid. 
I appreciated the very tiny detail of the Amsterdam Treaty, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the name of the treaty that banned uh, nanotechnology-based mm. weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, much like the Kittimer Accords banned <laughs> all kinds of stuff in Star Trek. Yes. I just Whatever it wants to have banned. <laughs> yeah, like if there's something that they need to add a layer of stakes to, they can go, that's space illegal because of the Kittimer Accords. <laughs> Which I deeply appreciate. And um, if you have somebody drops off the screen on your sudden but inevitable bingo card, go ahead and cover that square up now because I don't know where my wonderful friend Ricky <laughs> D from Best Flicks with Ricky D is. Hopefully Ricky. he'll be back. <laughs> What is that from? I feel tied like, up and captured by a terrorist. I feel like somebody yelling <laughs> "Ricky" is like specifically Ricky is from a movie, and I cannot mm. place it. I'm. I'll have to. I'll have to do some looking. The next um, non chronological note that I made was the animation of light and locations oh. in this film. Oh yeah mind-blowingly good and we can spend a minute here because i didn't take a lot of notes for the uh slow chunk of the movie i guess you would call it because i was just so immersed like the first time through i had a lot going on my child was not quite sleeping she was pretending to be asleep um and there was a lot of stuff happening, so I was like trying. The, the the Giants were playing some very important baseball games, which they are doing currently as well. I'd like to say hello to Rosie in the chat. <clears throat> <laughs> and um, other than that, though, this a- after the slow piece of the movie, which of course we'll talk about, and I only refer to it because the pacing is slow, not because I feel like it's slow or not good. But after that, this movie, to quote the great Rowan Atkinson, ass we are hauling ass the last 30 minutes of this movie are non freaking stop and we're not there yet but when we get there it's going to just be an explosion so from basically the time they find out about what's in this marble until spike essentially let's say the uh the tram fight is there yeah. anything that you guys feel like I have skipped over that you need to to say or any notes you feel like you wanted to make before we go further? Now is definitely the time. Let's go, Ricky D. Has, have I jumped past or steamrolled anything you'd like to say, my friend? Uh, a very small thing. I loved their steamed noodles. You just pull the string. <laughs> it boils the oh, noodles. Mm. Right. Genius. That's coming. That'll like, be here super, by 2071. Super instant ramen. Now, mm-hmm. that's probably already available in Japan. If I'm, <laughs> well, if I'm I mean, not... They already make like the Campbell's soup that heats itself in the little, you know, right. thing. Yeah. Uh, but... Have you seen their McDonald's ketchup packets? They're far more advanced than ours. <laughs> <laughs> Self cleaning ketchup? Oh. I, I don't know. But uh, more no, 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 importantly, no. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about Ein. Yes. Uh, and it could be, he could be, uh, if we're talking about this is possibly a dream, this Ein could be a perception of Spike and yada yada. But Ayn is playing chess at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Ayn mm-hmm. gives tips to the crew fairly regularly, but I don't know anything about Ayn other than he's a dog that they found. Do we have oh, any theories no. about Ayn and his abilities or his super, his uh, super intelligence? Yeah. Yes. So he's a data dog. He's yeah. a data dog. 
and it's funny because when I restarted rewatching this, like I remembered that about Ayn and he has that whole first episode. And yes, the big revelation at the end of the episode is like, oh, this was a data dog, which we, yeah, to Ricky D's point, we don't know much about what exactly that means, but we know it means he's smart. And I remembered like them finding out and I'm doing more. Uh, and yeah, he, it's only been like a handful of times when he does something moderately smarter than a normal dog throughout the show. Like I, I remember him being like a super like inspector gadget dog. <laughs> he, well, I mean, uh, there's the whole bit in uh, toys in the attic where he, I mean, mm. uh, toys yeah. in the attic and he rec- he's able to recognize what's going on in brain scratch. Mm-hmm. Now we, we had argued maybe that was like a, an audio cue that he was hearing, but mm-hmm. maybe, but they do in that first episode, Ricky, where they, or the I believe it's the second episode of the series, but the first time they meet mine, mm-hmm. straight they dog do strut. At, they they do at the end say he's a data dog, and I think they may even say something like he's got near human level intelligence. Okay, or something I, like that, that does sound familiar. They say he's worth a lot. They say he's worth a ton of money. Right, Mulan. and it was yeah, there was some kind of indication as to the experiment that was that was going on with him. Um, but uh, yes, Callie, Callie does agree. She says, uh, Ayn is one of the things that always felt we didn't find out enough about. And uh, that's one of the things I love about this series and the movie and the whole thing, right? Is that you want more. And I, and... I feel like Watanabe wanted to leave a lot of things open to interpretation throughout the whole thing. A hundred percent. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, this, the fact that we're sitting here going, was the whole thing a dream? Is like, I mean, that's a pretty good indicator that, you know, he's fine with leaving some stuff up to interpretation. And mm-hmm. I got to say, the first time um, that the butterfly kind of flits past the corner of phase vision, <laughs> I, when that happened, like the entire rest of the movie flooded back into my mind. Because the, le- <laughs> so the first time I saw it must have been 10, 12 years ago. But as soon as that butterfly went past, I was like, oh, I remember that the rest of this mo- this movie is like really intense and trippy and I'm so here for it. Like I'm very excited for this. What do you think Cameron is the significance that Spike would dream up a character that has hallucinations that isn't him hmm. but that he's also che- like are there there's so many layers of mystery mm-hmm. surrounding this character, right? Like mm-hmm. is it is it I don't know what the word is. Feasible? Is it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is I it mean, too many layers? <laughs> think of, I'll, yeah, well, that's up to the eye of the beholder. And speaking of uh, beholder's eyes, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is that, you know, Spike has one artificial eye that always sees the past. I think the artificial one sees the past and his organic one sees the future. So maybe just seeing things slightly differently. Well, and to that point, I wonder if that's why he's always like, whatever happens, happens, because he's literally incapable of seeing the present moment. So all he does is like fluidly exist in the present moment. That's why he's able to be like clear water, because he's not really present. He's just like, I can see one step behind and one step ahead, which I guess fits the whole conversation that he was having with uh, Jet about (laughs) chess. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty verbatim what they were talking about, yeah. so I guess that would fit. Okay. Um, it's hard to argue against the point, though, once the point has been made. Like, I agree with you that I hate the it was all a dream thing, but now I'm kind of circling into maybe it really was all a dream and I might be okay with it. Like, I don't... 
I'm not sure, but like that, that's the journey. I've acceptance made as well, yeah. is the first step. <laughs> I think acceptance is the last step. If I'm and not that mistaken. grief was yeah. <laughs> denial. I don't know. Anger. Arguing. They're all in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, and so okay, this I have to ask: Is this? Does that mean that Spike knows the just push your hand into somebody's flesh technique? <laughs> Maybe that's a great deep-seated fear of his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Mola Ram. Oh, this is the right group. Nightmares. <laughs> childhood nightmares. That's my that's my six year old's favorite Indiana Jones movie. He makes me show I it to him all the time. It was six, the one it with was, Willie. It was six year old me's favorite movie too. Oh, right? Yeah, I know. I know people always talk about how it's the worst one. I'm like, maybe, but it's still also my favorite one, kind of. <laughs> well, yeah, I could I there's a lot of um things that are derided that I definitely love. So I mean it this that scene though, in particular, I got really scared. Like, <laughs> yes. It, yeah. I yes. forgot about it, and I was like, "You can't just do that! Like, you can't oh, just like push your freaking... hand into someone's chest like that." Right? Yeah, I was like, like they're gonna bleed out, man. They're gonna pull away and be like, "Oh, he had a knife and he stabbed." Oh no, he just ow, wow. Okay. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> a lot of blood for Spike. I don't think he bled that much when he went through the church window. Like, yeah. it's just a lot of blood on our protagonist, <laughs> and it's like. I mean, the force that, that it would take to just get your fingers through skin, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing is it's like, would he really, oh my gosh, you guys, did he hit him in the liver? No, because he'd be dead if he hit him in the liver. Well, I was kind of, it felt like, it was, yeah, it, it had that sense that it was doing something inside. It was more than just fingers through flesh. Like, I don't know. I, like, you felt, that was visceral. Oh, yeah. It was. That that's was a good some word. animating. <laughs> oh, Yeah. We need a list at the end of this. Voila. Indeed. No, I'm, that's a, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. That's still almost a month away. But that that like Oh, I immediately picked up what you're talking about. Yeah, I got you, Phil. We're all catching on wow. about wow. like Halloween? What else we're, is almost? We're three oh, days right, off. Right. We're three days off one month. Um Wow, that was really good. Uh, Kelly says, "I assume he he broke some he broke I, some ribs. I had it memorized at mm-hmm. one point. It was college theater. I tried to make a version of it with J's out of narcissism, and it's very difficult to do. Um, yes, Callie assumes he broke some ribs, and that brand. was why he had breathing problems. I could see mm-hmm. that. I, that mm-hmm. would definitely cause blood loss and discomfort. Uh, and he was bandaged AF, as the children say." Much like he was bandaged in a previous episode. Or two. Or two. Yes. (laughs) I know. I did love that. Again, Steve Bloom plays characters who get bandaged up a lot. I mean, if y'all have seen Roroni Kenshin. It it's it's true. (laughs) I feel you might be happy to hear I watched the first episode of that uh last weekend. I so nice. because there was a long delay of of our show I was like I guess I should watch a bunch of anime now just in case. You See, know. and that's that's just a fun instance uh with uh, Steve Bloom finally getting to voice a villain. And that was part of why I was like okay, I'm going to look up these voice actors and then maybe go from there. Um I'm not related, but I'm almost all the way through Psychopaths, which I'm also really enjoying. Nice. Um, I also started Ergo Proxy, which might be the most paranoid thing I've ever seen, and I'm oh, loving it. It's, it's it is, so good. 
it is very enjoyable. Um, I've been sinking some serious me time into the Netflix, Hulu uh, anime selections recently. I so. really loved Kengen Ashura. I will it, add it, that to the um, list. There's there's two seasons of it out so far. It is a uh, a fighting anime in the style of like Baki the Grappler. Okay, that's the one I was thinking of that I couldn't name. Yeah, well, so there's a, there's a a new, I, I, I want to say it's a a new version of Baki the Grappler that's up on Netflix Ooh. now too. The old one, uh, the older Baki, I don't know. It's uh, sorry, had a incoming Facebook call, but it was a <laughs> misdialed. My apologies, y'all. Uh, hey, it happens. I promise that was not actually my spouse trying to get in contact with me to let me know that everything's going okay with the kid. There's a good chance it was me. I Facebook call people all the time on accident. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's actually a real life meme at this point. So we have a we have a Twist My Arm Network group chat where if you make a podcast on the network, you get to be in the group chat. The only person who's ever video called anyone my pocket. is Ricky D. And <laughs> He does it like, I'm not talking, you know. Two or three times in a row. Two or three times in a row, like every nine or ten days. Anyways, it was uh, it was just, yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Phil. But yeah, no, uh, Ken Ganashira, just brutal fight sequences. I mean, just visceral. You can feel bone breaking in those fight scenes. And, and that's how I felt in this movie, because yeah. I was like, normally when we see Spike go close quarters with somebody, we're like, okay, this fight's over. Spike's yeah, got he's it. gonna kick mm-hmm. ass as but soon as he man, gets in there. The brutality here, that constant like, that up-close, really fast back and forth, like, punching bag style hit that they're constantly doing <laughs> to each other's ribs, like... The one that uh, Agent Smith does in the first Matrix, right? Yeah, to just Morpheus the against flurry, the, wall. Like, the oh flurry of body blows. My ribs were like, oh, this hurts to watch. And the mouth sounds. I mean, if Josh were here, I'm sure he'd have plenty to say about the mouth sounds in this movie. <laughs> and the spit is flying as well. I just, man, everything, everything is just, yeah. The 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 evocative nature of this show has always been high, but like. In this movie, I think the increased animation uh, budget really, really brings all that stuff across. I mean, I got emotional, I think, two times in this movie, and one of them is coming up, and we'll definitely get to that. Um, But it was, I mean, for me to feel any emotion on a Cowboy Bebop story that I know has no bearing on the rest of the Cowboy Bebop story, right, I feel is like a great sign for me. But I also am generally pretty immersed in things when i watch them so it's not necessarily a surprise yeah and i mean we know we know that the stakes are not as high as they would have been if this were just an episode of the show or if it took place chronologically after the series yeah like you know because it would you know that would be a whole different thing um but now this the slow part, right? I'm just going to call it the slow part of the movie. Like the first time, like I said, I had all kinds of stuff going on. It was hard for me to pay attention to, but the last two times I watched through it, I just found myself in love. I was like, I'm totally immersed. The music is slower, the visuals are slower, but I'm totally here for this. Did you guys have any issues? We'll start with you, Cameron. Did you have any issues with the slower paced parts of the movie or were you just kind of like totally immersed or were you like where where were you feeling? How were you feeling on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll admit I, I did, but I'll also uh, caveat that by like, you know, I, I'd rented this from a video store. I had three days to watch it. I put it off for two days. <laughs> I had to finish it that night. It started kind of late. I think I had to pause it at one point to put a kid back to bed. So I, I did like I was kind of keeping an eye on the clock, being like, oh, I don't want to be up too late. I got to get some sleep tonight. So there was a point about the slow part I, that you're talking about just after the monorail fight where I did pause and I was like, oh, shit, there's still an hour left. I feel like <laughs> I felt like there's maybe 20, 15 minutes. I feel like we're just about to hit the, the third act and the big climax. Uh, yeah, no. So I so I did. And I think even in, in uh, without that um added exterior pressure i I think i'd still think like "Eh, it's a little slow i mean that's why i think you could shave 40 minutes off this episode and then make it a pretty darn good two-parter of the the series like i I do feel there is some fat now it's poetic fat it's beautiful fat it's uh it's fat that you can definitely pick apart to uh to back up your dream theory but fat is an important ingredient for flavor in any dish my friend even a stew. Even a stew. But that's not what makes a stew a stew. No. no. Oh, the meat. <laughs> What's well, the stew mix that makes it the stew? Oh. Oh. Which, oh. which I thought was like, no effing duh, right? Like, <laughs> that's not a metaphor, guy. Like, is that... <laughs> Is that Spike's subconscious abi- like non-ability to construct a metaphor through his representation of a criminal? I, I is that his theme. subconscious criticizing Jet's cooking? Exactly. <laughs> no meat. Where's right. the meat? Oh my god! You need meat for a stew. Who cares about the mix? It really does all fit. That's that's terrifying. Um, the okay. So then, what about Steve, the scientist? Like, oh. Is he there just as a subconscious ego boost for Spike to like? Look, Spike you understand goes, the science of what's going on. Or and I'll also have another character in my dream ask her out, and she doesn't want to go out with him. But when I <laughs> ask her out, she'll be totally down. Like, is that an sure. ego trip? Like, <laughs> I mean, as we've always said with Cowboy Bebop, it feels very tropey, and I'm sure uh, Spike has seen those movies. And, uh, and knows that if you got the, the hot femme fatale, there's got to be the nerdy scientist guy who wants to hook up with her. Uh, yeah. guy who makes the uh, uh, haunted mansion joke in uh, one of the latest Predator movies. The Shane Black one? Uh, there, no, it's uh, so Olivia Munn uh, actually plays like the lead scientist oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in there. And, and Keegan, and, right? Keegan Michael. Yeah. But there's yeah. a, yeah, there's a guy there. They got the whole like, underground complex and as the elevator's going down the like tech guy makes this comment about like references the haunted mansion <laughs> and someone else is just like every fucking time <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one i haven't seen i really liked um predators. it's okay i mean it's shane black doing a predator movie yeah i'm in i liked <laughs> i really Decker liked too right yeah. he had yes. something to do with it yep he was the yeah. uh, co-writer yeah, my Monster Squad boy. He can't do any wrong. That's not the one with Adrian Brody, right? <laughs> uh, no, no, that was Predators. See, uh, I really liked I enjoyed, that one. I enjoyed Predators. There's I liked that one for Grace in that, man. Yeah, that was just... playing, a, playing a villain. He was, that was the only place I've ever liked the casting of Topher Grace, outside of that <laughs> 70s show. Um, did <laughs> I... Oh, sh- I just scrolled past my note. Why did I do that? Well, just uh, just talking about Spike watching stuff, uh, bringing up movies in the universe of Cowboy Bebop. I talked on my last appearance how much I enjoy like whenever cartoons, animated shows do like 
bad TV effect. <laughs> Man, the old film effect they did on oh, this animated show oh, was yeah. it was so good. I I mean you're gonna you're gonna get this film geek in the heart every time you have like an old drive-in scene in a movie anyway. But when it looks that good, how cool is that fly-in movie theater? Yeah, <laughs> it's, a it's brilliant like a, idea. so cool. It's it. like a city block-sized set of parking garages <laughs> that you can just park your spaceship at and watch an old movie. That was, I really dug that. Um, really quickly, we had mentioned uh, Steve Bloom being in a couple of different series. In the voice credits for this, I saw uh, Jennifer Hale. If I'm not mistaken, that's the voice of Cortana from Halo and like a million other things, isn't uh, it? She is uh, the female version of Commander Shepard. In the Mass Effect games, yeah, she. I, if I'm not mistaken, Jennifer Hale is a very prolific voice actor. She's an incredibly prolific voice, uh, and she did uh, Electra in this movie. And I, yes, oh, well, in the English, in the English, in the dub, dub, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but no, it was uh, Jen Taylor. Taylor, is, thank you. Is, is Cortana? Taylor. Jennifer Hale is Jennifer. likewise all over, though. I mean, um. Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Baldur's Gate, Overwatch. She's she's everywhere. So much like the uh, aforementioned Steve Bloom, and uh, well, nowadays you've got you know Fred Tatashiore. I don't know how to say his last name, but he's in literally everything. <laughs> Phil Lamar's in almost everything as a voice actor and an actual actor. But so um, fun thing, fun thing with Steve Bloom and uh, and uh, some of the other. Uh, voice actors from the series you know who steve bloom is currently married to it's it's judy not, bloom it's not Ma- wendy lee right no and uh, no uh mary elizabeth mcglynn and who's that julia really oh shit yeah he got married to yeah her no voice spike actress. and okay so spike and julia i i did some digging on this earlier tonight because i was like i gotta gotta make sure i got my voice actor stuff down right <laughs> <laughs> so Steve Bloom is married to Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who was Julia. Yes, Spike and Julia are married in real life. That's uh, so cool. Previously, before marrying Steve Bloom, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn had been married to Darren Norris. Darren Norris. He did not play Vicious. Okay. No. Okay. Didn't play Vicious. Played Vincent. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not Victor, right? Vivi? Are we talking about Vivi here? Vivi. Okay, Vivi. okay. Wow. Uh, interesting. He's, he's uh, so Darren Norris is also um, uh, like half of the cast of Fairly Odd Parents. Oh, wow. Uh, he's Timmy's dad. He's Cosmo. He's he's Jorgen. He's literally like half of the cast of Fairly the Odd Parents. The voice actor world is like super small. I got to get like in on that. little it, circle. It really is like, and I, I say this having met like a lot of voice actors over the years that I've been going to anime cons, most all of them know each other. Uh, anybody who works for Funimation has like lived in the same part of Texas, uh, at some point or another as everyone else there. So it's, oh, and speaking of. We get a confirmation that Punch and Judy are speaking in a future space Texan accent. <laughs> space uh, Texas. Face, what does Face say? She's like, "What's Texan for stupid or something <laughs> like that?" Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I and and a hundred percent, Callie and Rosie. I told you, Phil would have all the fun, cool facts. That I was a you. tapestry of information. Yeah, which is also <laughs> cool. the name 
of a Next Generation episode. So podcast, isn't it? You do have tapestries, don't you? <laughs> we have a podcast, and we have many tapestries. <laughs> this tram fight is super intense, and it kind of marks mm. like the end of the first episode of this two episode movie, yeah. right? Like if it were if it were two separate episodes. I really wanted that tram to go around a loop. And for Spike to shoot from one car into another car. Oh, that would be cool. This isn't Snowpiercer, Ricky. <laughs> We're not shooting from one car into the other on the same train, man. I will say that was a pretty intense ending. I mean, except that we, of course, know everyone lives. But <laughs> right. I, I was like, so what's going to happen? Where's Spike? And like same with Faye. I was like, I mean, I know she survives, but how because we don't know about the inoculation yet the... yeah so yeah i mean that was that was a cliffhanger for sure oh, and they yeah. left us to wonder for a while because the whole time spike is getting better we're like okay this is good this is good wait a minute where is Faye? like we still <laughs> yeah. have not oh, seen yeah. Faye. where is she they leave the Faye <laughs> thing yeah that yeah, and... yeah. Faye is kind of left on the floor for a while Poor well and we get that that direct parallel right when spike and electra are in prison and we get the long shadows and lots of silhouettes, right? And they're talking back and forth about, you know, what they're talking back and forth mm-hmm. about. And then we have that intercut directly to um, Vincent sitting in the window with long shadows cast. And it's just he and Faye in this room alone talking about what's going to happen next, right? So it's like you get the long angular shadows on the good guys and on the bad guys. Callie says, do you notice the timing of Faye going, how do you say useless in Texan? And then the next second, Ed goes, Faye, Faye. <laughs> I was so sure she was causing trouble. That's it's, a good catch. That's, a nice, that's great parallel. That's a just nice wink to the structure. audience. <laughs> yeah. Like, we get to know that that's, yeah. And Faye, you know, to the point of maybe it is all a dream, has literally zero character development because the last thing she does is ask, hey, you want to go to the racetrack? So (laughs) Well, because what's one of the next spots where she gets her next big chunk of character development mm -hmm. is in uh, uh, Brain Scratch. Yep. And it's, she's just lost and all this. Yeah. I, it, it fits so well in, and to, it doesn't surprise me, right? Because the planning and the execution of the whole series have been immaculate and gorgeous and just mechanically perfect up to this point. So it definitely doesn't surprise me. This scene is definitely a little uncomfortable where she's in yes. the the wooden apartment mm. with just Vincent and, you know, we... Go ahead. And the body of... Uh... Right. Oh, yeah. Vincent and a dead guy. <laughs> And mm-hmm. and we have spent the whole series, you know, if not ogling Faye, the camera has been treating Faye a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And so to see somebody actually throw her down on her back and clip the clasp on her shirt is a little bit jarring. Because yeah. we're like... Well, it is. Because even though the camera has kind of treated Faye a certain way, right. but it's it's like the way... Sadly, we've come to expect from the, like, the male from games. Final Fantasy games, right. from anime, yeah. anything. You expect the camera to look at a woman that way. But character-wise, story-wise, like her sexuality hasn't been on display that much. Like very little, really, considering. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when it, it goes from like not zero, maybe, but five to sixty in this scene, you're just like, yeah, oh, oh wow. And it's now this is gonna, you know, that kind of makes me wonder how does that piece fit into the dream theory 
right? Because Mm -hmm. she's not um, laid bare. Like, he doesn't fully strip her or anything, but he does make her vulnerable. And it's more so than almost any other character does in the series. Right. And it's the one moment where we're like, okay, the control here is the dynamic of control here is definitely not how we want it to be. Like Mm -hmm. we are in, we're very uncomfortable because of the position that Faye is in. And like, this is very, you know, the, one of the visceral moments of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. This is the first moment that I got emotional in. And it was actually not this part. It was actually right after this, when Faye pulls the knife out of the dead guy and she says, rest in peace, kid. Like, that actually kind of hit me in the heart because I was like, shit. Like, she's she's actually meaning that. Like, she didn't want to have to kill that kid. She just wanted to turn him in for the bounty. She kept calling him a kid. She knows that he's a kid. Like, she had him dead to rights and she... Right. She had him dead to rights and she fired the gun next to him to try to scare him. Like, she could have killed him had she wanted to. Oh, yeah. And it was just like... If it it hadn't meant that she would have lost the bounty... Right. And and that's and but it also shows that there is some compassion there because she's like she says kid in a way that is like, I know this wasn't your fault. I know it's you got in over your head. Pragmatic. It's not purely pragmatic. Yeah, exactly. It's it's well, you know, they've both been victims of VV here. Right. So. And she well and she's, you know, probably got a little more she's more understanding of it. Like she's like, yeah, I was chasing after this guy. I could see why he would attack me. <laughs> Cause that kid was definitely caught off guard. He thought he was going to get paid and just <laughs> live out the rest of his days kind of alone in a weird terrorism Playing world. Games, getting yeah. to meet, I forget what lever level or bad guy he wanted. Um, I guess what it would say about Spike's subconscious maybe is just that he sees Faye as a victim and always needing to be rescued and helpless. Um, which to be fair, he probably thinks that more. I think what the scene says uh, is that they were making a movie and could get away with a harder rating and that they were right. showing that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it almost felt like a little kind of forced in that way. Yeah. There's a couple of, there's some language stuff and there's a couple of moments where I was like, oh yeah, they're showing that they're, they're not on Cartoon Network anymore. The uh, guard walking up to the car going, hey, where are you guys going? And then getting shot directly in the face. Like, yeah. no hesitation. <laughs> that was definitely, uh, that would have gotten one of the warnings on Hulu. Were we mm-hmm. watching on Hulu? <laughs> um, the gun animation in this is real visceral. Like, we have, you know, spe- specifically on that tram fight when spike's got his gun pointed at vincent vincent's got his gun pointed at spike and then Electra comes in over spike's oh, shoulder yeah. mm-hmm. and you see the animation on his gun barrel just barely like mm. ease over like a couple mm-hmm. of degrees and then fire just a slight shift of focus yeah it was i mean the line well work exactly. the line work in that whole sequence with the pistols yeah. being aimed down the line on the tram was just the perspective mm-hmm. all oh, through that fight gorgeous yeah. seeing the bullet was a reminder that we we know these uh filmmakers like themselves from john woo oh god yes. yeah. They're continuing to be inspired by him <laughs> yeah i didn't quite get the whole dove scattering thing but they'd already yep. done that in the series so oh you exactly know, oh, oh don't want to yeah. don't want to spoil it. anything <laughs> Yeah, was, so. yeah, last episode when Josh was like, did he die? I was like, did you see the doves, Josh? The doves yeah. practically ripped Spike's soul from his body and threw it into the air. Straight to the afterlife. And then his star went out. It's the doves. Yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, I understand Josh's reticence to let Spike go. Fully understand. Oh, yeah. No, 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 um, <laughs> and not everyone knows. 
and the doves mean death and so filmmakers ooh, <laughs> yeah ooh, not a v word but a good one the v's in there yeah though. exactly i knew I, i'm glad that we have phil here because i didn't know if ricky d or cameron would get this reference but um, I did notice the studio Gynax in the credits, Phil. Do you think they were brought in just for that scene where Faye's clasp gets clipped off of her shirt and then she kind of rolls around on the on the floor with her <laughs> coat hanging open? Um, if you're not familiar... I, this must be a I great really, joke. I really hope that wasn't the only reason that uh, that studio Gynax is in the... Is it? Okay, Ricky, uh, I, got a, I got another single season anime for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is only six episodes, in fact. Not only is it a single season anime, it's only six episodes. Go watch Fooly Cooly. That yes. sounds like something I could watch. <laughs> um, good luck uh, Good luck looking it up. When you type in the search, type in F-L-C-L. It's not spelled Fooly Cooly, it's spelled F-L-C-L. Um, but yes, the studio has a reputation, and uh, Phil, I'm just so happy that you were here to appreciate that joke. Studio Gainax is known for two things. And no, that's not going to be a left and right joke, but I guess I could. <laughs> uh, Studio Gainax is known for their animation of breasts and for their uh, their series endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at things like Evangelion and uh, I just, well, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. So it's um, it's actually just been turned into a verb. Um, now Gain sometimes acting. when yeah when breasts move in an unnatural anime <laughs> style way, it's referred to as gain axing. So uh, the the go. video game version of that would be Team Ninja, mm-hmm. uh, the Dead or Alive the series. Dead or Alive. Yeah, that was speaking to Ninja Gaiden. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Think think uh, uh, think Team Ninja, but for anime. So we have, there's a lot, the the movie is very long. It's difficult to go chronologically. I would just like to take another chance here to say, Ricky D, do you feel like there's anything that uh, you'd like to bring up that I may have steamrolled past your opportunity to speak on or anything like that? And after Ricky, we'll go with Cameron and then we'll go with Philip. Just another really brief one. I just wanted everybody to remember Ed in her jack-o'-lantern suit going around knocking on doors. I don't know if a whole lot Very needs good. to be Super said cute. about it, but uh, it, it's worth taking a moment to stop and think about it and how fun and cute that was. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. And the cape. A jack-o'-lantern <laughs> head and a cape. cape. That's the whole costume. You need. Like, I love it. I, mean, Halloween I mean, literally just person. picked up off of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> hey, see, here's a jack-o'-lantern. Here's someone's sheet that was hanging from a clothesline. I'm a, Boom, I'm incognito. Ricky D, not to take anything away from that, because that was very cute and lovely. But even better was when Ayn had the jacket. Yeah. Head. That, <laughs> yeah. Now that it, now that I'm thinking that would be my shot of the show, that <laughs> was so funny. And just the animation, I don't know why. Like I like I'm a cat video person, not like a cute dog person, but that scene was so adorable with Ayn. <laughs> it was so cute that Cameron is going to destroy his ability to talk about it from here on out <laughs> nope i'm back <laughs> i mean i yeah it, it was it was definitely I, it, it felt like um the most innocent fan service ever like you know to, <laughs> to go from studio gainax to this but um 
the, it was all fan service. Like we just they served all the fans. We just wanted to see Ian and Ed hang out and be wholesome yeah. and, and just have learn some fun, stuff. Be yeah. happy and safe doing. She goes, Whatever. I'm going to send you my exact location right now. Faye goes, sweet, <laughs> don't move. Then some kids with candy walk by and it's like, Ed's peace. Goes, Ooh. Ooh, yeah. And I walk off. I had just like they're going to do in a couple episodes. Strong. Oh, oh, um, oh, Cameron, that. Oh, I'm sorry. I got strong Gur from Invader Zim vibes <laughs> in that moment. She was like, I'm going oh. on a parade. So um, very good. I just yeah, and and way to way to tug at those heartstrings there. Uh, did you yeah. guys catch the actual full on like X wing laser sound as part of the mix on the railgun for mm. Spike's red Corvette when he fired it into the wall to like use the wall as his missiles? Right, there was in the, somewhere in the mix of that railgun firing sound. There's an actual X X wing <laughs> laser quack that. Whack, thing that they do right oh yeah very very subtle but it was definitely in there i i loved the chase scene we've got these three fighter jets from that terrible movie stealth are after jet and (laughs) i was gonna i was waiting it was like i was waiting after the first jessica alba reference i was waiting to see how long it was gonna be till someone mentioned stealth I mean, the jets are from stealth. They look like the robot jet. Now, to be clear, to be clear, I never saw stealth, and I never will see stealth. No but one I did. I remember the previews. It, it, it actually, I mean, that it was very true to the title. It just it no one never actually saw it. Yeah, it legitimately made like it's the no weirdest money. thing. Yeah. Uh, but Jamie Foxx is still making money and on TV, et cetera. I mean, the guy is talented. He's doing all right. Yeah, he's 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 good at what he does. Um, but this scene, I mean, <sighs> we knew we were going to get it, right? Oh, because yeah. There's got to be this. a flight chase. Yeah, and we get this in, in the episodes where it, it's available, right? And I, I just... There's nothing surprising about this scene. There's nothing that catches me off guard about this scene. I know Spike is going to outfly these three jets. I know, regardless of what their weaponry is, he's going to outsmart them. Still enjoy the hell out of it. No question oh, yeah. asked. Like, I have no complaints about this chase. I really like that he used multiple tactics to get rid of the same threat. He uses chaff on the missile sometimes, he uses debris on the missile sometimes. Sometimes he just flies it you know, real close to him and then into a wall sort of a thing. The distances that are shown in this chase between where the bullets are landing (laughs) and where his wing is, you know, like how far ahead he is of the fire is like so well animated. Spoiler alert, my shot of the show comes from this chase. (laughs) I just, I I felt like a little kid. Any, I love any well animated dog fight. Yeah. It's just. And, and this whole and, movie and the tracking with the cannon is hundred percent is accurate. I mean, just the the way that they're used, they're they're dragged across a target. You're not, and you that know, just... pulled that pulled arc where they're hitting closer and closer, mm-hmm. but also still behind. It's like it's such a well done thing. What were you gonna say, Ricky? Uh, oh my god, I can't believe I lost it. Oh, the distances. <laughs> you mentioned the distances uh, distancing during the dogfight uh the whole movie i was fascinated by how clearly everything at the forefront of the camera was drawn and the extreme limited detail to things that were far away i couldn't stop focusing on that that was really good animation (laughs) 
it's mm-hmm. it looks like they're messing with depth depth of focus in an actual camera lens. Mm-hmm. It's I mean it's like I said about the series, it looks like it could have been painted over live action. And I like said, I'm fairly certain there are a couple sequences in this that actually are painted over live action. Um, but yeah, I just, that was one of those things. I mean, all the way through and, and the, um, the film grain, even on mm-hmm. the, um, very high definition, uh, Blu-ray that I was watching. I mean, the film grain is just, there's something about it that just adds to the experience, like of watching a movie, you know, even though it's animated and even though I know that that film grain wasn't really necessary. No, I like but I it. think that <laughs> I think that speaks a great deal to Watanabe as a director. I mean, hundred percent. He knows his cinematic techniques. Yeah, he exactly. he very very clearly knows his cinematic techniques and how to make them work in the animated format, not just in, you know, live action. A detailed point on that uh, thing that I really appreciated was that we got the movie version of the shot of the Bebop's fins slicing into the Hitting water. The water. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. I thought of you when I, when I saw that. I'm yeah, so happy like, to oh, hear that, like, Kevin. Ah, there's Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that makes me so happy. If, if, <laughs> if we come away from Cowboy Bebop with nothing other than Jesse loves attention to detail and <laughs> narcissistic characters, then that's, I'm, I'm a happy effects. boy. Yeah, water really, effects. Yeah, just well drawn water of any kind. Cameron, do you feel like there's anything I've steamrolled past, uh, other than you know most everything up to this point that you'd like to discuss? Uh, no, I think uh, I think we covered it. I'm glad uh, Ricky brought up the pumpkin so I could remember my favorite shot of Ayn in it, and that's, <laughs> uh, I think I'm I'm good up to this point. Excellent. How about yourself, Phil? Is there anything you feel like we didn't talk about yet that you'd like to talk about? I don't think so. But I, I I did also watch this like a week and a half ago uh, in anticipation <laughs> yeah. of what I had thought the original like scheduled <laughs> thing was going to be. But hey, right. uh, you know, it works out all right because I'm able to actually be here this time. So Right. And, and may I say again to the both of you, I deeply appreciate you guys being available on essentially no notice uh, to come talk about the movie with us. It's, it's, it's very cool. Cameron, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I did remember. I just wanted to double check with you guys. So he meets the grenade lighter guy again. Yes. Who kind of tells him, gives him a little exposition dump there on the stairs. And we're all to presume that he is. Oh, he's the absolutely. Who created, right? He's oh, okay. absolutely. Oh, the man. That is. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You didn't pick that up or you no. don't agree? <laughs> I missed it. No, oh, okay. I, I, I am. I am 98% sure yeah. that he's. That he is, I mean, how else would he have gotten the the sample marble in the sure. face in the first place? Well, there's just, he says something that's like, and then the man thought this. And I was like, oh, well, he's him. But then I kept kind of waiting for the big reveal. And, and he never again, does it. Watan- yeah, yeah, that's not. Uh, I, so I mean, for me. Watanabe. 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 It's not his style. No. He's just going to no, let you us. Uh, he's going to leave that open to some interpretation. But it's for me, it's just a crack because for Spike to go, oh, hey, um, by the way, I got you something and then just <laughs> jacks him right in the stomach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poof. And he goes, hey, give that oh. to that scientist, uh, you know, if you ever <laughs> yeah. see him again. Yeah, no, yeah. and I, I think there's a lot of a uh, lot of a uh, yeah. Well, I I I did have that coming, <laughs> right? Because yeah. he doesn't say like, hey, you know, screw you or anything. He goes, all right, it, that's it, how it's gonna yeah. be, you know. <laughs> Okay. Like, I think that's him sort of acknowledging, like, I suppose that's fair. 
Now, yeah. my question on that is, immediately when he walks away, Spike gets surrounded. So, hmm. was that guy, A, uh, working for that company still? Or, B, able to get away before Spike was? Like, oh, because I, he I, slid I, down sure the rail? Oh, I was able to slip back into the alleys. I mean, is that we're thinking because of that rail? And that rail, I mean, he slid down a rail that's like oh. 50 meters long. Like, that had to be terrifying by the time he got to the bottom of it. Right? Yeah, like uh, like some skateboard punk. He's <laughs> like, see ya! He's building up so much speed. <laughs> Gonna grind this. Yeah, I... But I, I... And I liked that he smoked a cigarette with a pipe. Like, that's a little mm. weird. But I, I did like it. It was a fun little touch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, put it in the end of it and then lit it. And it was, eh. Yeah. I mean, that grenade lighter has got to be a thing you can actually buy, though. By the way, <laughs> there sure used to be. I'm pretty sure. Like when smoking was a an event that you did with friends, they had all <laughs> kinds of crazy ashtrays and like centerpiece lighters, and I'm almost positive that's a thing. I wouldn't be, I would not be surprised at all to find out that the grenade lighter is a somewhat popular novelty lighter. Uh, a quick Google search says yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen one that was a bullet, or it was shaped like a bullet, right? Like it wasn't actually mm. a bullet. Or guns, yeah, obviously. I've seen guns. Yeah, I've seen a couple of those. Um, let's see. I love the. Oh, so do we think it's possible that the crop dusters are a like loving reference to Independence Day? Because wouldn't this be uh, slightly after Independence uh, Day? Oh, it would be a while after. Slightly, because yeah. it was uh, ninety six. Yeah, and then this was, say, yeah. this was two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, so but I mean, I love that we got to go see the old guys, and it was like, it was one of those. Yep, nineteen ninety six for Independence Day. Yeah, so yeah, this it was is fun that they got to play so, an integral part finally. That has to be part of it, and I love that even. Um, even Jet is like unable to get that they're messing with him. He's like, "Hey, we're <laughs> going to Saturn, right? Like, gonna do?" He's like, hey, "This oh, is yeah, just yeah. trolling Jet the whole time." Yeah. He's like, "What are you guys talking I love about?" That we find like, out Dude, calm down. That they're ex-bounty hunters. Yeah, yeah. That was like, that yeah. was a cool reveal. Or at least or, Spike would like to think they are, or they claim to be. I right, mean, or they claim. I to mean, be, yeah. we've heard those guys give so many versions of their past. <laughs> sure. If I'm gonna have a, perpa- a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they like they have the what's the what's the word for it? They're not like the everyman Sex character appeal. or. That's the... what you're they're, that's why Studio Gainax was brought in, was to, yeah. <laughs> Studio to animate Gainax, those animated your three old men who have been here oh, throughout the right. whole <laughs> I can't wait to see them in the live action, by the way, because we've seen them. They were in the trailer, and yes, I'm, yes, I'm they very were. excited. That was so. just glorious. Uh, so let's, if, if you guys are not opposed, let's talk about the end. Um, mm-hmm. We've got this very cool set piece of the... Tokyo the Halloween parade. Yeah, the the Halloween parade, but it's centered around this possible amalgamation of the Tokyo <laughs> Radio Tower and the Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. Um the city has parts of it that feel like Japan and parts of it that feel like East Coast American city. There's all kinds of, you know, Morocco. Mixing, yeah, Morocco, you've yep, got the different nice. districts in town and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um which is but, gonna be the case for any place where immigrants settle. 
Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, humans move to Mars, they're going to take their culture with them. And we so. got that in the show, too, because there's oh, like yeah. the, oh, yeah. the little Chinese district of, you know, the Stray Dog Strut episode and things like that. Um, so we know that there's a showdown coming. We're fine with it, right? We know how it's going to it's gonna be Spike versus Vincent. We're cool with that. We know that's all going to happen. But the animation here, you know, this is the this is the fight that hurts to watch. Like there's some but there's some great camera work. There's some excellent angles going on mm-hmm. the butterflies are so ethereal and just this this whole scene i love this scene um let's start with uh ricky d as we're going into this this final showdown what are you thinking like okay spike's gonna kick this guy's ass this time or he's gonna get saved at the last minute like did you have a like a what's the word like an idea of what was about to go down going in. Unfortunately, we know that Spike's not going to die or at least he's not going to die any worse than he has previously. Right. <laughs> he's already died this episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, we know that he is going to be the victor of this fight basically. Um, so that takes a little bit away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise I was, mo- I was excited. You know, I whether there's stakes or not, you still enjoy a good fight scene. There's still plenty to enjoy going. Yes, through. yes, <laughs> it it's still another V word for y'all. It's still a visceral fight scene. It's still Barely. It still has that intensity. Yes, even will be victorious, even if it doesn't hit the same stakes as the chronologically upcoming fight with Vicious. Well, because we've seen Vincent whoop ass on Spike specifically. Yes. We know that he could take him. Like, and he actually done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he specifically kind of actually does win this fight again. Yeah. Uh, He's, Mm -hmm. he's got Spike dead to rights at the end. Um, So if it's all a dream, is this Spike subconscious saying, there are some fights you don't win or there's a fight coming up that you can't win or maybe um, See, that's you need good. to redefine your victory condition, right? Because mm-hmm. Spike's always talking about, hey, I don't care about the world. Go ahead. But that's not true. He's just set up a plan to make sure that everybody is fine, right? Like Spike always does the right thing, even though he says whatever happens, happens, and I only care about me. He still always does the right thing. And he's mm-hmm. so. Is this his reassessment of his victory condition, or is this Interesting. is this just a fist fight where he gets his ass kicked and gets lucky at the end of it? Well, ironically, if this is a dream, that does actually kind of add some stakes because it does kind of come into play. Where is Spike when he leaves this world? When the doves rip his soul from his body? <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, maybe has he finally come to peace with the dark side of his self? Um, has he realized maybe, you know, maybe the reason he loses, but, uh, what's her name? Julia? Electra. 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 Thank you. (laughs) The, um, yeah, maybe the reason she saves him is because he realizes he needs his friends, which of course is not the lesson he takes into the final episode. So maybe that's not what this means. Um, I'm just kind of talking off the cuff here now, so no, you're feel good. free to interrupt. With, yeah, but I mean, yeah, so I mean, I think you do, if this is a dream, then yeah, that's what's happening. He's battling his his darker half, his past. He needs to get to that place where he can die 
maybe not happy, but satisfied. He, he well, needs does, to be at peace. Well, exactly. but does it put him in the mindset of maybe my personal vendettas, a la Vicious or Vincent, are not quite as important as the greater good, so to speak, mm. right? Because he's in this in this instance, he's making sure everyone is vaccinated, and <laughs> in in the instance of um, the series. He's making sure that like this really psychotic, crazy dude does not take over a crime syndicate, mm-hmm. which in theory is probably for the good of the many. I think what it means is I feel like Spike has always kind of battled with how different is he from Vicious? Like, is he and Vicious really that different? Are they, you know, because they're both cut from the same mold, but... You know, is he a good person or is he more like Vicious, which is what Vicious is always saying. I feel like that's the a weight that uh, Spike has always carried with him. And I think that's kind of what he's battling here. And that's why he's able to face Vicious at the end is that he realizes he is different, that he does stand for something different, that he is not just a born to kill and that's all, that he, he can do something better with his life. So you could um, almost I, say that Spike is the physical manifested better angel of our nature like he's Mm, perhaps he's the version of yourself that you take you know as a whole and if some of the pieces of that whole are negative or hurtful or violent that doesn't mean that the some of those parts can't be positive and helpful and honorable um that's interesting Mm -hmm. i never would have considered that had you not said what what if it's all a dream yeah so well done. <laughs> yeah. No, well, again, good. I'm just repeating what I've read from the internet, but every, sometimes it makes sense. That's like 95% say, take... of my career is just repeating <laughs> stuff I've heard on the internet. <laughs> right. That's all our lives now. Taking it out of the dream and more kind of into the physical stakes and everything, though. So where I was going into this, um, again, I'm, I'm a script nerd. I'm always like watching the character arc, seeing what, what happens. And so to bring back that moment in the beginning where spike risks someone's life he's just acting instinctively he's he's playing fast and loose does he do something different here does has he changed has he learned something has he grown um i don't know i mean maybe you could say well he made a plan with his friends ahead of time he's not but really the one coordinating it all though exactly and i still <laughs> feel like he's risking everyone's life he's like well if these four random people i'm trusting Faye to do something i say <laughs> if they all do their job and i do my job maybe not everyone will die because he sits there and lets him push the button not knowing if everything else has gone according to plan now here's the thing if it is a dream and every character in this dream is some sort of representation of a part of Spike, mm-hmm. that would have good cause for him to be confident that the that the plan is going to go off without a hitch because he trusts himself more than he trusts anyone sure. ever. But so that's why I said taking this out of the realm of the dream, just <laughs> right, so, straight into narrative so if it goes, character arc. Yeah. So if it's only there, then I think I think it still fits because we've seen him before leave the special aspects of a particular thing up to whoever's better at them, right? Like he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's had Ed do analysis before. He he's, doesn't try to hack things. Right. Yeah. He tells Jet, Hey, he kicks beta. Yeah. Decks. He tells Jet, Hey, go get a hold of your ISSP guys. I'm going to walk the beat. Like, yeah. So it, it could be just task delegation, like you said. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, I mean, the, the best team cohesion that we had in the series up to this point is kind of here, right? Because this is mm-hmm. just before 
um, Faye leaves and Ed and Ein leave and all that stuff. So right before that, we had everybody kind of actually operating on maybe not smoothly, but they were at least all familiar with each other, right? So like they were they were pretty much at their peak as a team. Right. Mm -hmm. This is as good as they can function. And you have that moment where Jet is on the bebop going, all right, everything's screwed. But then everybody starts coming back. Right. And he's like, (laughs) oh, okay, I'm just going to slip right back into scolding you for not having called me. And like, you know, just like we were doing before. And even though I was just finishing up saying I was always better alone and this, that and the other thing. Mm -hmm. So it's I love Jet. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting angle to look at it that way and it does make me want to watch it again which i probably will do mm-hmm. but yeah that's one of the reasons why i do think like okay yeah the dream kind of makes more sense like that's that's why i'm okay to go that, that route put this it, time does that put it at the equivalent uh of being like the message in firefly mm. like because so, the the last big like crew cohesion bit before the before movie before everything changes mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you could argue that they come together in objects in space. Well, probably more so than they, uh, probably more so in objects in space. But well, it's I mean, it's also that's all, all flashback. The, though. Well, and even though the events are taking place before the characters' final moments together, the actors know this will be the final time they're together. That's and that's, that's more of the connection. that's more of the factor. I think Cameron. Uh, that's is, a good point. Just them knowing, like, oh, hey. We just got canceled. Which is a little meta, but yeah. 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 That's a good point. Well, if you guys don't have any other points from the movie that you think we absolutely have to cover, and if you do, now is the time to bring them up. But if you don't, then let's go ahead and move into our first, maybe only segment. I don't know if I had you guys pick (laughs) out your favorite quote from the movie, but Let's move into our first segment. Ricky D, are you ready with the cool intro video that says shot of the show? Uh, I am not, but if I have just a moment. <laughs> shot of the show. Hey, it's shot shot I found it, so I'm going to play it right <gasps> now. That was me. I did that. Tell that me nice. your podcast is independent without telling me your podcast is independent. <laughs> Shot of the show, as you know, is where we share our favorite visual moments from a given week's episode, or in this case, movie. Uh, the visual moments that hit us just a little harder than the rest. Now, I am going to give the caveat here that uh, this whole freaking thing, frame by frame, is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> I was watching it with a software that allows me to go frame by frame, so I feel pretty comfortable saying that, and that's how I got these shots ready to go for tonight so um if you don't mind ricky d i think i don't remember if i labeled them all but let's bring up phil's shot first and phil did you write down your time code because it was slightly... i i did not um because okay. again i was doing this i wasn't taking notes when i was watching the movie because i was You're not good. uh i have it written not down. anticipating showing up tonight Happy though I am to be here, I was not uh, not expecting it. But I am as your well. lack of psychic abilities is disturbing. <laughs> you so, know, so Phil's shot comes. If you're watching, uh, Phil, did you watch on DVD or I did? Okay. Uh, actually, I did watch DVD because it, part of my status as a uh, not quite librarian, uh, <laughs> I put uh, the interlibrary loan system to good use and was able to snag a copy, a hard copy of the DVD through the interlibrary loan service. So. Very, very cool. 
If you are watching on Blu-ray, I believe the time code was in. I tracked down Phil's time code, so that is uh, what the file that we were using. Oh, go right ahead then. Ah, uh, yep, there it is. Mm. This is at fifty-two forty-five. Is that correct, Ricky? Yes. Hello, Vivi. <laughs> so, uh, so this shot, uh, Vincent has been injured. And he is, you know, this is during his confrontation with Faye. And he licks some of his own blood off of his hand. And it is just, there. when you're watching the movie, the first time you're seeing this shot, you're just like, oh, he's just being, you know, he's creepy. just being creepy, you know. Mm-hmm. I, it, honestly, it's not until later in the film you realize what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But he is... At this point, he's licking some of his own blood off of his hands, and then he proceeds to kiss Faye, which is an awkward scene, mm-hmm. but that is him literally inoculating her against the nanomachines that would otherwise have killed her. Now, here mm-hmm. is a really cool thing. Let me first say excellent, excellent, excellent choice, Phil. Thank you. couple of things here. We get another V word that we can throw out here, vampire, for our <laughs> mm-hmm. Halloween movie, mm-hmm. and a vampire named Vincent Valentine <gasps> is a character in Final Fantasy VII. The two characters in this room are Vincent and Faye Valentine, <laughs> and, Faye Valentine. and he's acting like a vampire. How cool is that? Just a thing that I just put together now when I saw Happy him shout out the to the uh, Final Fantasy VII nerds out there. Yeah. We I know you're all out there. Yeah. <laughs> I I love that. And and same thing. You're totally right. I was like, oh, here's the trope of mm-hmm. crazy person licks their own blood because they're not afraid of their own mortality. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, he's going to kiss Faye because he's a creep. Like, ugh. ugh. Yeah. Oh. oh, oh, that was actually... Nice of him <laughs> sort of? to do. Yeah, no, I went through the same journey. So why why would he do that? Um, <laughs> I guess you could argue at a really basic level, he's thinking, I'm about to wipe out the entire population of the world, and I have a chance to save this really good-looking chick. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to be the last dude, I may as well mm. pick a good-looking last female. I would Maybe that's what that was part of that, or it was like some leftover uh, reminiscence of Electra's haircut. And that yeah, was maybe. his subconscious going, oh, there's something about her that, you know, something feels familiar, if you will. Hey. <laughs> so uh, if we would jump to uh, the shot of Faye, if you don't mind, yep. this is Cameron's selection for a shot of the show. There's Faye. Faye, Faye. <laughs> Just driving to what looks like Southern Italy, being super cool with her rear view mirror. And this bubblegum moment, like her her super pink ladies, you know, happy uh, pop song while she's going into yeah. after well, this. She just terrorist. got back from the horses. She lost some money, but she don't care. It's all about the journey. I can't remember yeah. what the actual song is, but it makes me think of the like Sonic Adventure song, running around <laughs> at the speed of sound. Like that, so, that's how bubblegum poppy it was. It Mm -hmm, made mm -hmm. me think of the song from the intro scene for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie where they're all (laughs) skydiving into an event at Angel Grove. Um, I don't remember the song at all, but I know that it's very much like a, 
we are cool teenagers. Look at all the stuff we're doing. <laughs> it's the '90s, um, and it the song felt like that to me. I also appreciate yeah. the detail of um, it's a. I think it's right after this shot. Faye gets a call and she's getting information and she's bobbing her head she's texting and driving the whole time that she's getting information like mm. to the beat of the song to indicate that the the speakers in her jump craft are actually playing the music that we're hearing <laughs> which is a nice little nice little touch yeah so as i've said you know given more time there's a couple other shots that i might have picked but i just like this one because you know we see spike being cool a lot in this series but this is a moment where we really get to see like phase cool factor amp up to near spike levels I also just love the detailing of the reflection in the rear view mirror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and, and for anybody that hasn't, um, for anybody that's not in this crew, right. Who's not on the bebop. You could, from the outside, you could be forgiven for thinking Faye is the leader of this crew. Like <laughs> in her mind. In I mean, she yeah. looks, yeah, she looks like the leader. She's moving quickly. She's got sunglasses. She can handle a gun. She's very confident. Like, I would she's, watch. She's gonna solo this bounty. Yeah, I would watch a show that was Faye soloing anything. Like, just mm. like I would watch the the show of grown up, you know, cowgirl Ed. Personally, <laughs> I I would love to have seen some of Faye's whole uh, cowboy background prior to her introduction. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, uh, in Hong Kong Woman, I could dig. I mean, there's just. There's so much to expand on, and that's kind of why I'm wondering with the live-action series, will they do everything we're used to, and then season two will be like all new stuff, or maybe season three will be all new stuff? I'm really interested to see where they go with that. Um, Ricky D., if you would like to bring up your choice for Shot of the Show, my friend. Yes, I will, and I will talk while I'm doing it. There we go. Oh, mm-hmm. this excellent choice. This, uh, this was one of my favorite shots. I was talking earlier about the kind of depth of field that they were able to play with uh with animation and uh just with like with a real camera if something close to the camera it's in focus and it's in detail and anything far far away is going to have much less detail so this is a shot of spike and vincent when they're fighting on the radio tower uh and i just love this very very minimalist uh drawing of spike I am not a tattoo <laughs> almost, person. Almost impressionist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a tattoo mm-hmm, person mm-hmm. at all. But this minimalist spike would make a really cool tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No face, just the hair shape. No face, just the like, hair. I mean, you know, I agree with that 100%. You get a little yeah. bit of the detail with the lapel mm-hmm. on the suit Yeah, jacket. you get more, de- <laughs> more detail on his jacket yeah. than his face. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's that's the shot that I pictured immediately when you said depth of field, yeah, and and like oh, camera yeah. work because I was like, oh, I remember because there's a pan, there's a slight pan going on in this shot mm-hmm. when it's in motion, and uh, Spike is actually walking toward Vincent, so it, there's two pieces of motion happening that are almost opposite each other while this you know from this wide shot and it's just the coloring in this like it's familiar enough that it feels like the yellow lighting on bebop but it's orange enough that it feels kind of sci-fi and different a little bit evocative of those butterflies like it's so mars yeah it, it, <laughs> it's it's the red planet i mean it, it's all the reds and oranges and browns and tans all those earth tones just hitting 
it's also a shot that you can almost only get away with in anime because oh, like, yeah. if you saw this in a live action, you'd be like, what, what was the, the, the focus polar doing? Yeah. Is he drunk this day? What's going on? <laughs> who's on, who's on the camera right now? <laughs> it's just a shot of angles. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> but yeah, in the animation, you're, yeah, everything, you get to be a little more stylized with that and, uh, and you get, it works out. You get so much of the detail work within the structure of the tower itself too. Mm. Yeah. The crossing beams that interconnected the cabling structure, yeah, and you get—I mean—you get what you need for the story here too, right? You've got the bad guy in a long black coat. You've got the cowboy with a wide stance getting ready to show down with him. Like you could look at this and with no context and know what's happening. Like, oh, this is a showdown. This is definitely yeah. a showdown. <laughs> no, it's—it's it's very clearly the hero and villain confronting each other. I am absolutely, absolutely loving this. Um, Ricky T, if you don't mind, my friend, I believe it is my turn. Bow. Ho oh. <laughs> ho. So this I I couldn't choose like the full series of shots where Spike arcs his craft all the way back around to face the guys that are chasing him, but this is right towards the end of the chase where he's gonna go take on the last ship and he just crosses over the you know, right next to the sun, you see the twin uh, contrails disappear behind his ship and he comes flying right at the screen it's the acrobatic ballet that is happening with the ship animation in the whole series of course but definitely in the movie it's just i i love the visuals here and i love the grace with which his ship flies even though we know that it's a struggle he's in there gritting his teeth and you know he's got white knuckles on the controls and everything like that but he just the way that he just very casually like a swan changes direction and moves like clear water even while he's in his vehicle it's just oh it's so good what's the day jesse what's the name of his ship <laughs> well, I know swordfish. that I I always call it the Corvette, yes, but yep, it is actually it is. called the Swordfish, the swordfish <laughs> and it swims through the sky beautifully this entire time. And he's got that real gun on the front, right, which is like the Swordfish nose, and he uses it so, so well in this, Surgically. In this chase. Yeah, it's like everything is planned it's a couple steps ahead just like his chess game right he's mm-hmm. he's got to shoot ahead of himself he's got to think ahead to know not to run into that particular line of fire i just you guys know me i'm a sucker for a good ship shot i think half of my <laughs> picks throughout the series were spiked <laughs> in the swordfish doing something cool um and i'm totally good with that i mean i've literally got the swordfish right there on my wall behind me it's it's That's it's right. a thing that happens so um i just i I love this movie. I'm so happy we were able to get a copy of it for us to share. And I'm so happy that Cameron found one and Phil found one. And I just, I, I, this movie, it got buried, you know, kind of at the box office. It didn't do huge, giant, ridiculous numbers, at least in America. Um, now, part of that it, could it, be argued. It was that an anime. It, it was, was an, an anime. anime. Film. <laughs> and it's an anime film about global terrorism that, came out in 2002 so it there were yeah. some some there was some stuff working against it you know i mean if we're going to yeah. be 100 percent, you know transparent about it i'm not going to blame that entirely but it does add a layer of the movie was for us it was for the fans just like serenity was for the brown coats you know this is for the people that just want to spend a 
little bit more time with these characters, even if it's not in a way that is going to change the trajectory of the entire series or that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I, I know that normally here we would do Spiegel Spiel. I didn't have everybody pick out a favorite quote from the movie. If you guys have one that you know off the top of your head, definitely feel free to share it. Um, I will just point out, I really liked that the end, we got another text stinger like we're used to getting from the series. And it actually is probably one of the biggest pieces of support for the It's All a Dream theory. It just says, are you living in the real world? And that's a good question to ask yourself every once in a while, even if <laughs> you know, you're know you pretty sure that you're living in the real world mm-hmm. because perception and reality are not always lined up but perception is reality. So if you can do your best to make them line up, I think that's a good goal to have. Um, Cowboy Bebop going out the way it came in with, with the, with the feels, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm in love with this thing. Okay. Oh, this thing is over. Oh, am I living in the real world? I, (laughs) wow. Thanks Cowboy Bebop. Um, I had just a blast with this movie. If I, I guess we could rate it. I I personally, if you're going to rate it like as an individual thing, I I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could separate it from the TV show. Um, But I would probably give it like a solid 7.5. Like I absolutely loved it. I don't know that I would be able to introduce somebody to Cowboy Bebop with it. I think I would have to do that with the show personally. Um, But it is a movie that I'm really happy to own now and a movie that I plan to watch plenty more times coming up especially now that i know it's a halloween movie i can force it into mrs sudden's <laughs> halloween movie rotation yes pretty simple add it I to the it. october rotation yeah i feel like there's no way that that won't happen i'd like to say hi to glacial <laughs> musher in the chat thank you for joining us and yeah i just it's one of those things like not having remembered that going in i was a little bit caught off guard but then i was deeply grateful to have like just mm-hmm. a way in so um let's see ricky d if you were going to give this movie a rating out of 10 what would you give it my friend i was sitting right at the same point 7.58 uh you know it's hard (laughs) if i'm gonna compare it against the episodes in the show it's not one of the best but it's also very good uh and 7.5 to 8 i guess i need to land on one of those so i'll go with (laughs) eight uh very good movie lots of fun at home in the bebop world yeah I think it fits the the universe nearly perfectly, if not perfectly. Um, Phil, as the super fan, how how would you rate this movie? Uh, I got to go eight point seven five. Digging it, yeah. Um, it is solid. Uh, it, it's gorgeously animated. It, the score is phenomenal. the The storyline fits perfectly into the established bebop world honestly it's dish it's disconnection from otherwise established continuity is the only thing working against it i can appreciate that now if they had put this storyline in in place of say episodes 24 or 25 and 26 if they'd done this instead of the real folk blues and then done the real folk blues as the extended film. I, I think that's, that. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that that is the only possible 
uh, improvement they could have done with it. But I mean, obviously, you know, ex post facto where. Yeah, right. Maybe the next time I watch through, though, maybe that'll be the order I watch through and maybe I'll get to the end, watch this and then watch the real folk blues. Yeah. And and I mean, we know that like per I think even per Watanabe, it takes place between, a, a, you know, between um, uh, before right before Brain Scratch. Yeah. But uh, I I think that if they'd intended, you know, if they'd had this storyline in place from the beginning, that that's where we would have seen it, that this would have been the uh, the penultimate uh, bebop storyline. Yeah. Perfect setup. Well, if it is that. a dream, you could watch it at any point. You could watch it just before the real folk blues because you only see Spike and hear Jet in the quote unquote real world. If yeah. The bookends are the only real world. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron, so, where do, so. where would you land? Yeah, not to be the nanovirus at the Halloween party. <laughs> I am. I. I mean, I was. I was really looking forward to rewatching it now after having just watched the series, and it was still a little bit of a shoulder shrug for me. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, part of it, I, I do think the score is very good, yeah. but I was really looking forward to hearing some great tunes. And I was surprised that, A, the movie didn't use that much music compared to some of the episodes. Like, I feel like there's just as many songs in this two-hour movie as there are in some 30-minute episodes. Yeah. Now, but to like, be fair, they couldn't get the rights to the one that they had subtitled it after. Oh, oh really? Oh well, yeah. Sure, yeah, but no, I wanted more original songs. I wanted oh, yeah. more, um, yeah. more, yeah, yeah, more yeah. of more of Yoko and the seatbelts. Yeah, yeah, because I think that those last episodes, those last four episodes or so, have just some amazing tracks in them. Um, uh, I mean, the one I guessed it on, uh, Hard Luck, not Hard Luck Woman. Anyway, the yeah. the one where Ed and <laughs> I leave. I mean, that has like three of my favorite Cowboy Bebop songs in that episode alone. Yeah. And then like uh, Real Folk Blues has two or three more. Yeah. And I just none of none of these songs. They were none of them were bad, but there was really only one that I'd be like, oh yeah, I'd add that to my playlist. Yeah. Um, there's that, and then I think what I would want from a movie, because what I want from Cowboy Bebop the series in general is at the end. I, I wanted to know more about Spike's backstory. I don't need to know what's going to happen after, and I don't need all the details. But to be honest, Real Folk Blues, I didn't care when Julia got shot. I just didn't. And so I really wanted... I, I don't think this movie had to be a prequel because you want Ed and Ayn and everyone, but maybe if they were <laughs> doing something that involved finding out more about their, their backstory so yeah. those moments in Real Folk Blues could have more impact is what I would have wanted to bring this up to like an eight or something for me, which I could see, which I could see happening if, uh, you know, if they'd wanted it to be more of a standalone, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I rather if they'd wanted it to be more integrated, I think they wanted it to be more of a standalone so that people who hadn't seen the series could still jump in Mm -hmm. and feel welcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I mean, try, try showing someone, uh, advent children if they've never played final fantasy 7 before <laughs> they're gonna just be like okay <laughs> so wait so did you yeah, or like yeah did yeah. you land on but, a number um, i will now oh, uh, so i think i think originally i might i might have gone as low as six like it wasn't bad it was a fun watch but right. it's a shoulder shrug i think the dream theory pushes it up for me i think that makes it more interesting it gives it more rewatchability that's going to push it up to a 6.5, maybe even a 7 if I watch it again and really kind of focus watching it with that knowledge this time. 
Uh, so I'll, I'll err on the side of seven. I was going to say, if you'd like, I can put you in as a 6.5. I don't want I you said. to feel any pressure. No, no, I think I, 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 even this discussion has made me appreciate it more. So I think I'm, Wonderful. I feel good with a seven. So and you raise an excellent point about the soundtrack from Hard Luck Woman, by the way. Yeah. That oh, the, so the Just... ending track there as Ed, as, as Ed is walking off. Uh, as, as, as as Spike and Jet and Faye are trying to go about their lives again without Ed and Ein, still I I can hear it even now. I can hear that. I can, I can hear, hear Cameron's and it's uh, just I can hear Cameron's heartstrings being pulled. It's, it's just shredded. So that means that the crew of the sudden but inevitable Rebop and our two wonderful guests give Cowboy Bebop the movie a 7.8 out of 10. Not bad at all, especially for kind of a, like Phil was saying, a standalone thing. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like I said, I don't know that I would use it to introduce somebody to Cowboy Bebop, but I might right. use it to get somebody who was like, like if Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D had not agreed to watch an entire anime series with me, but was like, I'll watch a movie, this might be the movie that I would use. I might go, okay, yeah. use this, because this is the kind of stuff I know you're into. You like the mob, you like detective stuff, you like you know fun criminal crime stories. This might be one that I would go with. Uh, there are a I, I've couple got of a next, others. I've got another <laughs> follow-up one for Ricky D. Uh, movie? Uh, series. What do you think Ricky D uh, should watch shorter, next? On the shorter end... Uh, series-wise, but uh, did we ever try to get him to watch Death Note? Oh, well, I'm <laughs> I'm actually really glad that you brought that up, Phil, because as those of you who have been around for a while might know, this is actually the end of season two <gasps> of the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch, which of course well, started. What are you going to watch for season three? Just? Yeah, we're going to have to make a with decision. Firefly and went to Cowboy Bebop. Now, because we we have been thinking about this for a while and we wanted to pick something that it has to be something that I love and it has to be something <laughs> that I think yes. I can actually get Ricky D and the crew of the sudden, but inevitable rewatch to love because if they don't, then it's going to be a whole other kind of a show. So for season three of the sudden, but inevitable rewatch, we are going to do a little tiny mini season, right? So between now and the end of the year, we're going to watch some movies together that one of us has seen that the other has never seen. And it's going to be a fun little mini season. It's not going to be very long. It's just going to be while we get our plans finalized for the next season and get everything worked out and get everything evened out so that we have everybody in the places they need to be for that show, which I can actually announce right now. This is season three is going to be the little movies. Season four of the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch is going to be Death Note. Ricky D has never seen it. Josh has never seen it. But I have seen it <laughs> many times. And I've never seen it. I agree with you, Phil, that oh. I think Ricky D will like it. And that makes oh. me even happier to hear, Cameron, because that means I can force you to come back to my podcast and talk about it. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be on the other end this time. I actually just rewatched the whole thing uh, about six months ago. It's one that 
Mrs. Sutton and I do almost once a year. It was the only anime that I was ever able to watch with her that she enjoyed. And it's because I took the time to find one that would fit her interests already. And then they were just translated into anime, uh, much <laughs> much as we've done with Ricky D and Josh here. Yeah, so, so it's Mrs. Sutton, but basically the female version of Ricky D. Is that what we're saying here? Is that she um, wishes that what we've discovered? <laughs> I'm going to blow right past that as well. And um, I will say (laughs) that if you are planning to watch, uh, if you would like to watch along with us or you want to rewatch Death Note with us, it is currently available on, I think, both Netflix and Hulu. But I know it is available on Netflix. Um, Another one of those instances where the English dub is actually pretty good. I really like the English dub for Death Note. So feel free to check that out. Um, It's higher quality yeah, higher quality than a lot of other dubs. Um, I would, I don't know that I would say it's as good as Cowboy Bebop. I would say it is on par with Cowboy Bebop as far as quality goes. Um, so, yeah, just a couple of small little bombshells there. So, Phil, I'm just going to say right now, you'll be back for Death Note. Cameron, yeah, score, you'll be back for Death Note. I think you would, have to watch you would love Death Note. And even if you don't, I would love to have you come on and trash I've it. I've always been curious. So, yeah, I, I an excuse. think Callie D is excited to watch Death Note with us in the live chat. She sounds <laughs> nice. like she's ready to go. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, really quickly, the premise of the whole show is that a teenager finds a notebook and the inside the front page, it says whoever's name you write in this notebook will die. And the teenager tests it out, and it turns out that that's true. And this all takes place within about the first eight minutes of the first episode, so don't consider it a spoiler, but that's the premise of the show. So if that interests you, that's where we're at. Now, I think we're pushing two and a half hours, you guys. It has not felt like two and a half hours for me personally. (laughs) I have been having a blast. I feel like I could keep talking about this series and this movie with you guys all night, but since we don't want to take up everybody's entire life, Let's wind this thing down. And the way that I'm going to start doing that is I'm going to say, Phil, if the wonderful people out there would like to get more Phil in their lives, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Uh, If they haven't had their Phil of me, Uh. uh, (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at FlipWriter. You can find me on my blog at swordsoftheancients.com. Uh, otherwise, you can see me here on several episodes of the Sudden But Inevitable Rebop, and you can find me on Session Zero, a D&D podcast with Lincoln L. Hayes. So Awesome. Very cool. Find me in places talking about generally nerdy shit. I love that kind of shit, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I will be fairly busy in the next couple of months as I am wrapping up uh library school and again uh as mentioned at the top of the episode welcoming a uh, a new child home this week yeah uh, i look forward to catching you all for uh for some death note talk yes so really quickly i believe the current plan is to start death note in january basically when we uh started firefly this year we will be starting death note next year another quick note that series is going to take us about six months to get through uh so we're going to do it one week one episode at a time we loved doing two episodes at a time for cowboy bebop i really wish we could have done one per because they deserve that but the time constraints this season are were just did not work for it so 
we're going to fully commit to Death Note. And like I said, it's going to take us about six months to get through it because we're going to have like a chunk of eight shows. Then we're going to take a break for a week. Then we're going to do eight more shows. Then we're going to take a break. And then we're going to do, I think, nine shows. There's some math involved, but (laughs) it's going to take a while. Uh, Cameron, I have said the name of your show more than once, but if you wouldn't mind, please tell the wonderful Mm -hmm. people where they can get more of you. Sure, yeah, you can find us on our podcast, uh, Green Shirt, a newbie's trek to the next generation. I am watching Star Trek, the next generation for the first time. We've just reached season five, and so far season five is a doozy. There are some great episodes, uh, which actually kind of makes it harder to make fun of, but there's there. I mean, I'm enjoying watching them very much. Uh, you will hear Jesse coming up. Uh, he's recording with us in just a couple of weeks. That episode should drop a few weeks after that. So you'll hear him talk about Silicon Avatar. Ooh. And uh, otherwise, yeah, you can find us at Greenshirt87 on Twitter. Greenshirt, if you search wherever you find your pods, you should find it there. I just realized uh, I wasn't following you. I have corrected those are that. The best. Oh, you know, I think I just noticed that the other day, Flip. God. Writer. You know what? But you know I didn't what? unfollow you. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't <laughs> unfollow me. You, you stuck around. <laughs> That's friendship, ladies and gentlemen. I know, right? Speaking of... Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, my friend. Where can people find you on the internet? When's the next episode of Best Flicks coming out? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Best Flicks Ricky D. You can find me here at Sudden But Inevitable. Phil's <laughs> showing off the hat. Uh, Trying and... to figure that out in reverse camera angle is just <laughs> tricky, man. <laughs> uh, and I have my new Many Saints in Newark episode coming out this weekend. I will make sure to post about that on Twitter. I'm coming out with new episodes pretty much every other week, which seems to be a pretty good cadence for me. And uh, go ahead and listen to some of my backlog. I've probably got an episode or two of a movie or a TV show that you might want a little more information on. I highly recommend checking out Best Flicks with Ricky D. I listen to him all night here on this show, and I still enjoy it. So I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put that His voice out there. is surprisingly soothing. It I mean. really is. Like, even though you know he doesn't want you to be happy, there's something about his voice that's just relaxing. I, I don't the know. The nights what it is. that I just fell asleep during undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I do have to say thank you one last time to all the beautiful, wonderful people in our live chat. Rosie and Callie, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for coming through the seasons with us as you do. Um, Callie says, my people, this was so much fun. We really are your people, and we hope that you consider us that way. Rosie, thank you so much. Good night. Thank you for joining us. I uh, I think we should sign off, you guys. Let's go ahead and sign off. Let's get out of here. Let's let these folks get home. And I'm going to say thank you one more time to the three of you, because I had a blast, and I couldn't have done this without you guys. And I cannot wait to get into Death Note, and I cannot wait to force you guys to watch some movies that I really love and you know what i'm willing to watch some movies i've never seen before for the first time in a bit of a twist so let's go (laughs) philip cameron ricky me for the sudden but inevitable rebop this has been my friend i'm philip i'm cameron this is ricky d best flicks with ricky d and i'm your captain jesse see you space cow folk Thank you for listening to the Sudden But Inevitable Rebob. Follow us on Twitter at Sudden But. Follow us on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. 
or go to twistmyarmpodcast.com slash SBI to get everything all in one place. The Sudden But Inevitable Rebop is a Twist My Arm podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are held solely by those speaking them. Thank you guys. Damn. Like I I meant it when I said that did not feel like two and a half hours.